living The truth at last has come The whole world has awakened To a new and shining sun So now begins the healing Our mission has begun To serve to end confusion Show all that we are one What a beautiful time to be alive All eyes they now can see The light inside begins to glow Truth has set us free All questions are now answered Sad tears will fall no more The strength and power of our love Has opened every door Celebrate now our ascension The world shines bright with love The water, air and land are clean Skies are clear above We've all come through the darkness Stand tall now in the light With knowing we all are one Stand up for what is right What a beautiful time to be alive All eyes they now can see The light inside begins to glow Truth has set us free Our questions are now answered Sad tears will fall no more The strength and power of our love Has opened every door Johnson, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Chief Justice, President Eisenhower, Vice President Nixon, President Truman, Reverend Clergy, fellow citizens. We observe today 
not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. For I have sworn before you and Almighty God the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now, for man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. We dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. cultural and spiritual origins we share, we pledge the loyalty of faithful friends. United, there is little we cannot do in a host of cooperative ventures. Divided, there is little we can do, for we dare not meet a powerful challenge at odds and split asunder. To those new states whom we welcome to the ranks of the free, we pledge our word that one form of colonial control shall not have passed away merely to be replaced by a far more iron tyranny. We shall not always expect to find them supporting our view, but we shall always hope to find them strongly supporting their own freedom and to remember that in the past those who foolishly sought power by riding the back of the tiger ended up inside. This is Ted from Out of This World Radio, and I want to thank Don so much for playing those things for me. 
I'm starting a little late today because I was uh, starting off my Galactic Wisdom Conference, which started at about 10 minutes ago. Um, if anyone out there would like to listen to it, it's um, you can register today, of course, or tomorrow. And um, uh, when you do register, you can listen to all the presentations for the next six months. So you can, you don't, feel, you know, don't feel like you missed anything. If you can't register till Monday, you'll still be able to watch all the presenters today. Um, the website is www.galacticwisdomconference.com. That's www.galacticwisdomconference.com. It's a uh, conference of uh, some of the world's most famous scientists, healers, psychics, um, and others. Um, and speaking right now is Dr. Jared Pollock. He's a um, one of the world's most famous water scientists talking about earthquakes, volcanoes, and natural disasters. And I think you really find it interesting. He he is the discoverer of the fourth phase of water. Um, there, most people think that water has three phases: it's it's liquid, gaseous, and then um, uh, of course a frozen form, solid form. But there's also a fourth phase of water that's between uh, being solid and and liquid. That's kind of like a like a jelly form. And this form called the fourth phase of water is actually in our bodies. And has amazing characteristics. And I've talked to um, uh, some scientists, uh, some people who think that um, the fourth phase of water could have been part of the Atlantean computers, which were water-based back about 15,000 or more years ago. The Atlanteans uh, used water, not so much H2O, uh, but rather H3O8 or H2O8 or H2O12. And simply that, what that means is that there were like eight to 12 different molecules of oxygen for every one or two or three molecules of hydrogen. And these, these special, um, configurations of what's called easy water, uh, had sheets. And in those memory sheets was the ability to store tremendous amounts of information. Um, I was at a water conference in Bulgaria actually in 2018. Uh, and World Water Conference, and there I met scientists who told me about how um, Microsoft is actually has a water laboratory working on a water computer right now in Copenhagen, Denmark. Now, they don't advertise it, but it is being worked on, and uh, this is old technology. It was around, of course, during the Atlantean times. Uh, for those of you who don't, for those who don't know the history, Atlantis itself blew itself up 12,500 years ago when a small group of military and, and civilian leaders tried to control the world. And they ended up blowing the whole place up with a series of nuclear and crystalline um, explosions. And so humanity at that point had to start all over again. And so we're now at the same same technological level as we were back to the Atlantean times. Uh, even during the Atlantean times, what's fascinating is I found out that toward the end of that civilization, 12,000 500 years ago, 13,000 years ago, they even had a, a, a shot program, vaccine program uh, for people, much like today, which, which is causing people a lot of harm. Um, but there's a lot of parallels between the old Atlantean civilization and today because many of the same spirits who came from Atlantis, uh, who, who were present uh, back 12, 13,000 years ago, um, who blew up the civilization are back again. Some of them are making good choices. Some of them aren't. And uh, so it's it's kind of like a Shakespearean play at this point where we're all actors upon a stage and we're doing the same roles again. And uh, uh, but we are headed for ascension. Um, the the Atlantean civilization had 
had made tremendous strides. Approximately 200,000 years ago, they, they were, um, they were a very advanced, loving civilization, but over time, they slowly went down a dark path and ended up destroying themselves. And we have the same choices today. We can either, uh, we can either um, improve society, make this planet a paradise on Earth, a place where everyone lives in peace and harmony and peace and freedom, or we can continue fighting and killing each other and being miserable and, and unhappy. And I think most people... Certainly on this planet, and most people listening to my show today would want the former. They want to create a, a planet that's full of peace and harmony, and um, and that's that's what my program is about. I've been broadcasting now for 10 years. I've been broadcasting every week for the last 10 years. Today's show is somewhere um, it's somewhere over 1.3 billion. I'm not sure, uh, but it's a large number here on the planet and off planet. It's somewhere well over 800 million. Because the benevolent extraterrestrials and people living off this planet are very interested to see what kind of choices we make uh, for the future and how we we live our lives. So for them, it's a it's a slice of reality. And um, but I started this program ten years ago at the on the advice of angels, guardian angels, who told me to start writing books and start my own radio show. And it was the um, best 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 decision I ever made. So uh, I'm a listener-supported show, and if you'd like to support us, please go to my website at uh, www.outofthisworld1150.com and just click on the uh, PayPal button. We really appreciate your beautiful support. Um, also, uh, you can also contribute through BBS as well. Um, wonderful people. I'm so happy to be on their, on their channel. They give me wonderful support. But um, we're all this together, my friends. And um, you know, one thing that uh, President Kennedy told me two years ago, I talked to him frequently. He said that um, uh, once people realize that we all have the spark of God or the supreme being with all, in all of us, we'll all realize that we all want peace and happiness and to create a much better and happier planet. And we'll stop fighting. And um, I think the current efforts, of course, we've got we've got conflicts, some conflicts around the world in Ukraine, some other places. But. All these are going to be resolved because most people want peace and happiness. They don't want to be fighting all the time. Those are the old ways of, of doing things. And that's the purpose of my conference today. It's going on for, I think, nine or ten hours today, another nine or ten hours tomorrow. Uh, the website, again, is um, www.galacticwisdomconference.com. And um, once you uh, once you register for it, uh, you'll be able to watch all the speakers for the next six months. Uh, as much as you want. So um, let me run down some of the people that we're, we're having on right now who is speaking is Dr. Jerry Pollock. He's a famous water scientist, one of the most famous water scientists in the world. He just told me he'll be speaking at the United Nations next week. Um, I'm so, so happy he's, he's with our conference today. He's a wonderful fellow. He'll be followed by uh, Professor Irvin Laszlo. He's one of the most famous philosophers of science in the world. He's, he's coming from Italy um, on how we can make this uh, this world a better place. I love his work. Um, uh, the, the third person talking will be a fellow named uh, uh, from Sweden, Ole Damagard, a famous conspiracy fellow specialist. He always has something interesting to say. Uh, he'll be followed by uh, Tom Palladino. He's a famous scalar energy healer. Um, Tom has a free 30, uh, 30 day uh, scalar energy program for people who attend the conference. And um, if you if you're interested in that, when you register, just send me an email and I can I can link you up with it with this program. My email is out of this world 1150 at gmail. 
com. I also have a fantastic spiritual healer named Susie Smith from um, uh, from Florida. She's I I've witnessed some of the incredible healing work she's done. She's a um, uh, registered nurse and also does a lot of spiritual healing. I know you'll really enjoy uh, hearing her. P.M. Cullen from um, um, have been channeling uh, messages from a group of six Plodeans called Larkma, spelled um, L-A-A-R-K-M-A-A. And I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone from the Pleiades, but when you talk to them, when you verbalize, they have a musical language. The language itself, um, actually, uh, Cherokee, if you know Cherokee, it's similar. It's very choppy, but it's also musical as well. So Larkma, if we say Larkma in, in American English, it's just kind of flat. But um, the way they pronounce it is Larkma, okay, or Larkma. So they have a, the, it, the, the tones go up at the end. So um, <laughs> it's very unique, but it's a combination of this very positive high vibrational tones uh, when they speak their language. Most of the time they do use telepathy, um, as we will be doing here in the fifth dimension. We are shifting, by the way, into the um, fourth and fifth dimensions, and I'll, I'll get into that in a few minutes. But uh, they're wonderful people, and I hope you can you can listen to them. Uh, Emmanuel Eiter is a famous French um uh, Hollywood fil- spiritual film director. Uh, Emmanuel is a little bit like me um, in the sense that um, he, he he produces these wonderful spiritual films. He doesn't worry about the money. He just lives on donations. Um, and he's pr- produced a series of films on on health, on curing people, on spirituality, on religion. And he's, his most current project is producing a film on water. Uh, I'm actually uh, in the film as, as well as um, Professor Pollux. Are, are, we're, we're both in the film, but um, I appreciate his beautiful work so much. Um, you, if you look him up on the web, um, his last name is spelled I is in India, T is in Ted, I-E-R, Emmanuel Eiter, and he would love your support. He lives co- totally on donations, and he's almost done with his water film. I think he only needs, what, $20,000 to finish the film. But it's just about ready to be released. But he does fantastic work. A new a new person to my conference is a fellow named Samuel Chong. Uh, he's from Los Angeles. Wonderful fellow. I really like him. He he has been doing work with the Theabua for the past at least ten years, maybe fifteen years. Mm. The Theabua are a benevolent civilization. Uh, they say they're the ones who helped establish um, life here, human life here. On planet Earth, 1.35 billion years ago. That's right, 1.35 billion years ago. Now, that was way before I was born. <laughs> At least I think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, there's a book called The Theoboa Prophecies. Uh, I'll spell uh, Theoboa for you. It's T-H-I-A-O-O-U, B as in boy, I-A. And in that book, originally it was um, uh, it was written by a fellow named Mikhail Doucette. It was written um, in French. He translated into English. And uh, I believe his website is uh, www.chinasong.org or chinasong.com. Um, but uh, the book is available there. And um, he'll be speaking at my conference. What's interesting about the book, it goes into the history, detailed history of Lemuria, Atlantis, Mu, M-U, which used to exist out into the Indian Ocean, uh, and at the time it existed, India was part of it, 
And India has a beautiful, rich cultural history. I used to live in India. I love it there. I love the people. But um, a lot of their spirituality came from those very ancient uh, ancient times. There was also a fellow I should tell you about named Churchward, um, who um, uh, was a British officer in the uh, in, uh, uh, the British uh, British Army back in the 1870s. And when he lived in India, there were several books he wrote. He made friends with uh, some Hindu priests in, a, in the Hindu temple, and they had ancient, very ancient texts uh, describing the period of Mu, M-U, and the origin of planet Earth. He's written some fascinating books, and I urge you to check, it, check him out on the web. But that ties into what the Theobuas, because what the Theobuas write about, it, it, it complements what uh, Churchward also uh, wrote about as well. Um, by the way, I don't know where everyone is today, probably all over the planet, but where I am um, up in the uh, Pacific Northwest, it's uh, the sun finally came out today. It's a beautiful sunny day, and I've had uh, uh, hummingbirds flying around me outside where I'm sitting outside. And it's a beautiful day, and I hope you're all having a, a beautiful spring day if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. I guess if you're in the Southern Hemisphere in Australia and New Zealand, you'd be having a fall day. But uh, anyway, I hope you can you can uh, listen to Samuel Chong. He'll be speaking. I think he's scheduled on uh, on Sunday, but a wonderful fellow. Um, he'll be followed by my good friend Alfred Weber coming into uh, coming into the conference from Vancouver, British Columbia. Alfred's had a long history. It's a very interesting history. Um, he, in, in 1971, he was the head of the environmental uh, department for, for the city of New York and very active in the uh, uh, Democratic Party, but a good man. Um, and um, uh, there's a lot that happened to him after that. He um, uh, came to know uh, President Jimmy Carter um, back in the 70s. And Jimmy Carter was very interested in, um, in the... Uh, uh, origin of extraterrestrial uh, life and UFOs as well. And so um, uh, he appointed uh, Mr. Weber uh, as the head of his UFO Disclosure Commission. And one of the things President Carter did, I believe it was in the fall of 76, um, after he was elected as president of the United States, he had a meeting with George Bush Sr. and asked Mr. Bush, Mr. Bush was the uh, head of the Central Intelligence Agency, he asked Mr. Bush, Bush if he could share all of his files on UFOs with him as president-elect of the United States. Bush refused. He wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't give him any information at all, which was too bad because he really wanted to get the information out. Well, what happened after that is that um, um, apparently Bush found out about um, the appointment that President Carter had made of uh, – uh, Alfred, Mr. Mr. Weber, as the head of his UFO Disclosure Commission. And uh, the story I heard is that uh, Bush and Rumsfeld both put a contract out on uh, Mr. Weber to get rid of him. So uh, Alfred found out about that. He fled the United States. He lived for a time in Mexico, and then he, he moved to Canada, and he's been there ever since. He doesn't consider it safe to live down here. As a result of that, you can understand the, the way he feels. Um, but he's a fascinating fellow. He's got an interest in UFOs. And also, um, he's starting up a new university called the Omniverse University um, uh, in Vancouver. It'll be starting on April 22nd. He also has a conference scheduled for um, – <coughs> it's a conference on uh, healing methods for the shedding and also the shot. That'll be, I think, on March 22nd. He's invited me to be part of it, which I've accepted. 
I don't have all the details yet, but I will in a couple of days. But uh, anyway, if you send me an email, I can certainly send you more details uh, w- about that. My email is out of this world 1150 at gmail.com. He's invited me to also to become one of the faculty of his new university, which I've accepted. So it'll be fun. You'll be able to register for all kinds of different online classes um, through his new university. And I, and I hope you can. Um, after that, I have a fantastic fellow named Dr. Angel Fernandez. He is the um, the head of an organization called the 1A1 Foundation, located in Santo Domingo in the, in, the, in the beautiful Dominican Republic. He has many conferences in Central and and uh, Central America, in both the Dominican Republic and and in Mexico. He's very well known, wonderful spiritual man. He has a lot of publications. Um, a lot of people here in North America. Um, Canada and, and the United States. We don't know a lot about what goes on south of the border, but there's some beautiful spiritual people there. And one of the nicest people I know, most spiritual, is Dr. Fernandez. And he'll be giving a presentation as well on using your intuition um, um, and, and um, to, to find out the answers you need. So I hope you can listen to that. A wonderful um, lady named Susie Ward, um, she channels her son named Matthew. Um, Matthew is a is, is her son who passed away, I believe, in 87, 86. And um, he, um, he came to uh, Susie um, in 1994, 1992, 1994. And ever since then, for the last, like, 30 years, uh, Matthew has been channeling messages from the angels on the other side um, on uh, our beautiful, bright future. And uh, um, if she's got um, – uh, he always have be- has beautiful, positive messages to uh, – to convey, and I really enjoy, always really enjoy talking to her and her son. She'll be giving um, a message uh, from him. I believe she's on um, tomorrow. Uh, she'll be giving her message, and uh, I can't wait. She's a beautiful lady, and I know you'll really, uh, uh, really enjoy her. Um, she'll be followed by my good friend, uh, Dr. Carolyn White. She's an aura reader and a psychic um, in Olympia, Washington, and uh, always has fascinating things to say. She's the one. Uh, who pointed out to me some years ago that there's a uh, eighth chakra uh, above the crown chakra that's been developing for the last couple of years. It's diamond-shaped. And the diamond shape is part of the fifth dimension. And she said it was, it was evidence that people are starting to shift now into the fifth dimension because we're, we're all evolving into a uh, higher frequency planet, higher frequency civilization. And she saw that in her aura readings. They have her and her husband, Jerry, do wonderful work with aura readings. And they'll take a, a picture of you. And, um, the, each, and, and depending upon your mood and what you're thinking about, the colors can change around your, your aura. And uh, so she, she, uh, she produces, she and her husband produce these beautiful pictures. And um, it's too bad we're not having a live in-person conference this year because she, could, she and her husband could give, give you a, a good aura reading if you, were, if you were here. But next year, we, um, we plan to have a, a physical conference. It'll be the second weekend of March. I believe it's March 13th and 14th. I don't have a calendar in front of me, but um, I know you'd love it. And uh, just kind of mark it down in your calendar. And if you need more information, uh, you can go to our website at um, www.galacticwisdomconference.com or you can simply send me an email to outofthisworld1150 at, at gmail.com. Or I also have a Proton Mail account uh, at um, outofthisworldradio at protonmail.com. Either one uh, will work. Um, 
In addition, after that will be Judy Kelly giving a presentation on Sunday. I consider Judy one of America's best psychics. She's fantastic. She, um, but the, the important thing about Judy is that she's got a heart of gold. She truly cares about humanity and making this world a better place. I love working with her. I always love, love talking to her. And, and it seems like when her and I talk, all these spirits and beautiful spirits and angels uh, come in to talk to us. And so she's got a full, I think, over an hour worth of messages from from some beautiful spirits. I, I know you'll, you'd, you'd love listening to her. I have another fellow named Dr. Christopher Macklin. Um, he's from England, a wonderful spiritual healer as well. I've been, the conference itself is is a lot of the speakers are focusing on healing, spiritually healing, um, because I think that's what people need. A lot of them need some healing and also direction nowadays. And um, But he's a wonderful fellow, and I'm so honored to have him as part of my uh, conference as well. He'll be giving a presentation on Sunday afternoon. I also have uh, a, a wonderful lady named Mich- Dr. Michelle Peel. She's a fantastic naturopathic doctor, and I think she's got a, a PhD in something else. Too. I'm, I'm not sure. Kind of keep tra- hard to keep track of, of all the degrees, but she's a brilliant lady, um, and she'll be giving a presentation as well on Sunday afternoon. I hope you can uh, you can listen. Jesse Howe is the radio show host of a program called Missing Link out of uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Wonderful program. I was on his program here about a month or two ago, and he was on mine. Mine as well. He'll be um, giving the introductory more, uh, remarks of, for my program on for my show. conference uh, Sunday morning. First off, about 9:15 a.m. Pacific time. I hope you can you can listen to him as well. I'll be speaking on the um, briefly on our beautiful bright future and and the Moto project. Um, Dr. Moto, of course, was a, a fabulous uh, uh, science scientist. He um, when he passed away in October 2014. He was the 17th most spiritual uh, uh, person in the world, according to Watkins Books in London, England. And he did some fantastic work. Of course, his book was called Messages from the Water. Messages from Water was a New York Times bestselling book. And um, he produced a little children's book called Messages from Water, which is still distributed today by the Emoto Peace Project in Tokyo. If you'd like to uh, obtain one of their books, please um, send them. uh, You can look at their their uh, their web address at www.emotopeaceproject.net. <laughs> That's E is in Edward, M is in Mary, O T O, peaceproject.net. Uh, and the director Michiko Hayashi has done a fantastic job of spreading Dr. Emoto's message around the world. And his book, little book is available there um, on the on the website as well. We'll also be doing a fundraiser for clean water for the Hopi and Navajo Indians. Um, I, st- I started doing fundraising for the Hopi um, back in 2018 uh, when I found out that uh, men only lived to 44 years on the Hopi and uh, women only lived to about 53, 54 years. And um, the reason why they, they don't live very long is because, among other reasons, it's because of, of the massive amounts of radiation and um radiation and arsenic uh, in the water itself. There is a, a mining company called Peabody Mining who for decades had drained out all the water, um, uh, just about uh, almost all the water out of their aquifers. So at the bottom of the aquifer is now what the Hopi are drinking in their in their um, local water supplies, well supplies. And the water's totally polluted, and that's why they're dying at an early age. This is, um, if you want to blame somebody, you can blame Stuart Udall, 
uh, who uh, negotiated this agreement with Peabody Mining and um, basically forced the Hopi to take it. And it also affects the Navajo, too, because the Navajo are right next door in Arizona, and they share the same uh, water table. So the Navajo also have the same issues about a contaminated water supply with uh, tons of arsenic and radiation in the water. Anyway, um, back in 2018, I found out about this and how um, the federal government uh, has done absolutely nothing. And worse than that, they've stopped from, from giving any kind of clean water help at all to the Navajo or to the Hopi. So um, what I did is, uh, with the help of a, a few friends of mine, we all decided to fundraise privately um, monies for uh, for the Hopi and Navajo to buy clean water filters uh, for people on the reservation. And we've been very successful, um, and we're continuing this now. Um, if, if the um, uh, Leon McLaughlin is a wonderful fellow, he'll be joining me um, uh, tonight um, uh, doing a fundraiser as part of the conference from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. And if you'd like more information about that, please go to my website, uh, galacticwisdomconference.com. That's www.galacticwisdomconference.com, and you can you can find out uh, more information there. Or you can go to my other website at www.outofthisworldreadings.com and click on, I think, spirit, uh, Spiritual Trips or Miscellaneous, and you'll find more information uh, about the uh, Hopi there. 100% of all monies um, uh, donated go right to the Hopi. Uh, it's a, t- a ton of percent uh, volunteer organization, and uh, we do everything we can to, to help them. Joining me um, in this effort will be uh, Liam McLaughlin. He's the, the head of an organization called the Washington Clean Water Foundation in Seattle. Wonderful fellow. I really like uh, Carolyn, uh, really like Leon. Uh, then, of course, Carolyn White, who is on the board of directors for the Moto Peace Project, uh, does wonderful work, will be joining me. I hope uh, Nancy Rivard of Airline Ambassadors will, will join us as well. I've invited her, but she may have family thing. May, may not be able to make it tonight due to some, some other previous plans. But um, anyway, we'll be talking about the need for, for clean water for the Hopi, and we'll also uh, be raising money for the Moto Peace Project as well tonight. So that'll be from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can also find out more information from my website at www.outofthisworldreadings.com. I don't know if you can you can hear it, but there's birds behind me here, and I I love spring. The the the, the life is coming out right now. The flowers are and and the vegetation are just starting to, to bloom, and life is life is in the air, my friends. Um, I wanted to tell everyone as well that um, this um, this summer I will be going back to Mount Shasta again. I'll be going back to Mount Shasta at the end of June and at the end of August. Uh, there's more information on my website at www.outofthisworldreadings.com. Um, uh, and um, the cost is just $250 per person. It includes camping, um, free camping. And um, if you'd like to go, um, please send me an email to outofthisworld1150 at gmail.com. Every person that went on my trips to uh, Shasta last year received the healing. Uh, I saw them. I saw the miracles happen. Actually, uh, one fellow had diverticulitis um, in his intestines, and it was completely healed up within a day. A uh, second lady, a nurse uh, from Southern California, had scoliosis cur- curvature of the spine, and she had been um, she had been in pain for uh, over 20 years. She was healed up within a day, pain completely gone. 
Uh, third person was completely blind in one of her eyes. The eyesight returned within a day. These are miracles, and I and I was there. I witnessed everything. Um, now, uh, if we do we do spiritual prayers, and uh, we sit around usually in a circle on different ley lines and ask Adama and the people of the Hollow Earth to to uh, connect with the God within all of us and to help heal the particular person. And it does work. Uh, I had one lady who was completely healed of Lyme disease that she'd had for for twenty years. That happened within a space of about four hours. Sometimes it's fast. It's really fast, like 25 minutes. Other other times it can take a day or two, uh, depending on people's belief systems. Uh, there were two people on the trip as well who had uh, either uh, were partially deaf, uh, and they had their hearing restored. Um, that was a miracle. Um, one lady had two cataracts in her eyes, and the cataracts dissolved within about a day. And she had uh, uh, perfectly normal vision after that. I mean, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. And the other, the other second thing, it doesn't have to be like a physical miracle. It can be like, let's say that you had a tough childhood and dealing with a lot of tired childhood issues, and still uh, later in life as you became an adult, and that they can, if you ask for it, you can also get like an emotional or spiritual healing for things that may have bothered you in the past as well. So there's all kinds of good things that come out of it. Um, we did have some problems with negative uh, people from a three-letter agency who came on the trip to try to disrupt things. Um, you think that they'd be able to spend um, taxpayer money on better things than stopping people from getting a healing, but uh, um, they didn't stop the trips, but they were. it was kind of disruptive. Um, but so people who come on the trips are always screening. And if you do work for a three-letter agency, don't even bother to apply because uh, I do read minds, and you have to be cleared by the Pleiadians and the Salosians and Adama. And if you are negative, you I guarantee you will not be allowed on the trip. Um, but um, uh, but I hope you can come. Most people have good intentions, and most people are good people, and so I'm I'm uh, happy to take you down there. I'm also um, I've got a message that. Um, some of the current restrictions, uh, there are a lot of pro problems flying right now, of course, from the pilots who've taken the shots. A lot of them are dying right now. I, I can't believe what a stupid thing the airlines did to require their pilots to take these death shots when many of them now are dying. But uh, at any rate, um, I am going, uh, planning on going back to uh, Peru in May. Um, uh, the um, In Mexico, almost none of the pilots and almost none of the people in Mexico have taken the, the uh the shots, the shots, and they're doing just fine. So anyway, um, I, I'm going back to uh, to see Machu Picchu in Peru, and I'm, and I'm planning on I'm going into Agartha in the Hollow Earth in the fourth dimension um, up at Lake Titicaca in May. If you if you'd like to come along, I'm taking a small group with me. Uh, the cost is reasonable. Uh, just send me an email to out of this world 1150 at gmail.com or at uh, out of this world radio at protonmail.com. There is some information as well located at um, my website at www.outofthisworldreadings.com under miscellaneous trips or spiritual trips, and you'll find um, more information there. Uh, Peru is a fantastic place. It um, Not only is there Machu Picchu, one of the most spiritual places in the world, but there's also uh, uh, spiritual entrances into the hollow earth uh, at Machu Picchu, um, as well as at Lake Titicaca, 
which is close to the Bolivian border in southern Peru. That's another fascinating place we'll be going to. And there's also what's called the Nazca Lines. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Nazca Lines are out in the Peruvian desert right next to the ocean. And they're in areas where people think where UFOs landed about two, three, two or 3,000 years ago. And you can see the landing strips there. And um, the other thing, too, is that there's lots of art, um, archaeological evidence in the area of a hybrid human, um, mixed human ET civilization. And uh, we'll go to an archaeological dig where they're digging up um, uh, burial grounds of these hybrid human ET uh, skeletons and skulls. We'll also visit uh, another museum that has these skulls and the skeletons of half-humans, half-ET uh, hybrids at a museum in a place called Paracas on the on the um, west coast of Peru. Paracas is a beautiful place. It has it has a, a nature preserve right off the, the city there on the coast called Las Balasterios. I think that's correct. If I if I didn't if I did if could I pronounce it correctly. Las Balasterios is like the Galapagos Islands um, off the coast of Peru, but it's it's a tremendous um, wildlife refuge full of all different kinds of, of uh of sea life and uh, fish life that you can go out there. I think it costs for the day $10 or 5 I can't remember. It's not very expensive to go out, but it's a beautiful area. There's lots of other places as well to see in Peru. It's a beautiful place. I'm also friends with several different shamans um, in, the, in, the, in the Andes Mountains, and we'll be visiting them as well. They can do healing ceremonies for you, um, and they're beautiful people. They were actually... Um, uh, featured in a film uh, done a couple of years ago by my good friend Emmanuel Eicher, uh down in um, he went down to Peru, interviewed these uh, uh, Shaw people, Shaw women and Shaw men, and uh, he's got some amazing stories to tell. But there's a film that he did on it uh, back a couple of years ago. You can look him up by looking up his name on the web, or send me send me an email and I'll I'll find you a link for it. His tribe, the village itself. Uh, this is an incredible story, but his villages did not have any contact with any Westerners or anyone outside uh, their culture until 1947. And what's significant is that when they did, this was like something like uh, over 400 years after the Spanish, uh, the brutal Spanish conquest of Peru in 18, oh, no, no, it was uh, 1535. Um, and when when the Spanish came in, they asked to meet with the the leader of the Incas. And you know what they did in the meeting? They killed the Inca leader and they killed all of their um, royal family. And then they took over the rest of the country. And one of the reasons why um, there are sporadic uh, demonstrations and riots in Peru is because the injustices and discrimination resulting from that conquest of those, those beautiful local people has never been adequately um, addressed. And as a result, the, the locals there do get a lot of discrimination. Um, they don't feel they feel like they're treated by the um, uh, by the by the government there, the local government. And so this is this is why there was a lot of uh, a lot of turmoil in 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 um, Peru a couple of months ago. I mean, they've gone through like seven or eight people as prime minister in Peru, um, and uh, the native peoples uh, uh, often are not very are not well treated. And so they have a lot of grievances, and uh, I don't blame them for standing up. They, they want to stand up for their rights, and good for them. Um, but I, I think I've been told um, 
by my friends in Peru that the current that the that the uh, problems they had in January are uh, getting over now, and by May it should be fine to travel. So if anyone's interested in going to Peru uh, this May, please send me an email to out of this world 1150 at uh, gmail.com. Uh, the purpose of my show is to make this world a much better and happier place, and I know that if we all all work together. We can and will make this planet a, a much better and, and happier place. Um, Don, if we could, I have an interview now I'd like to play. It's with um, Dr. Lee Merritt. She's a fantastic medical doctor from Iowa, and she'll be talking about some fascinating topics now about the war on humanity. And I really enjoy her. She'll be on for the next, um, uh, I believe her pre-record is an hour and 24 minutes and some odd seconds. And then when she's done, then I'll, they'll be coming back um, after that. But so, Don, if we could, if we could uh, play that, that would be um, that would be great. And then I'll come in uh, after that. Um, I have to go back to my conference now. I, I am uh, doing some work on it, um, so I have I have a co-host with me to help it as well. So I can't be here uh, full time, but that's why I'm I'm playing the, the pre-record now. So if we could uh, if we could play that pre-record for uh, Dr. Merritt now, that would be great. Thanks, Don. Then I'll. I'll come in uh, at the end. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be allowed to address you, and uh, I hope you'll hope you'll enjoy this. You know, I'm I'm a medical doctor, and I I I feel like my part of a war here that we're in is the medical aspect. But I'm going to talk about a little bit more than that because you have to realize we're in a multi-dimensional war against humanity. This isn't just about a disease. It was never just about a disease. This is the this is a war on all fronts from food shortages, you know, toxicity effects and many other things. So we have to we have to be prepared and we have to understand the nature of reality. So that's that's why the talk is what it is. So hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Why does this painting exist? Now, when I was a little kid, I loved this painting because of its use of light and its details, but mostly because of the weird faces and appearance of these people, this old Flemish painting. But the question is, why does this painting actually exist? Because now that we can do non-destructive evaluation radiographically using special techniques on paintings, we can look at how they were built, look at the layers. And it turns out this was built and many other Renaissance paintings were like this too. So this doesn't just apply to this painting, but it was built using layers of paint that were two to five microns thick, layer after layer. Now, in the age of 1434, when they were making their oil paints with mortar and pestle, that's not possible. You can't make paint that could put that thin a layer on. But it's also not even possible today with oil paint. At two to five microns, what you're really looking at is the um or is is laser printing using special chemical technology so why does this exist and similarly this around the world and i'm sure this audience is aware of this all these monolithic uh megalithic structures and that we're always told by the classic university archaeologists that these were built by slaves using crude tool copper tools and pulleys and and logs and 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 ropes, right? But when they actually tried this out in the 70s, they actually had modern people trying it out. They couldn't move it that way. And they couldn't even move it with with modern equipment. So there's something wrong with that story. And furthermore, around the world, you'll note that there are 
lots of these structures where the stones are fit so precisely that modern stonemasons say they can't do it that way. They don't know how they would do it. Or like the pyramids, they're organ they're they're aligned so perfectly with the uh, stars and with the sunrise and things like that, that we can't, that architects say we can't do that today. We just don't, they couldn't get that precise. Not the least of which is taking a square structure and perfectly making the side so it comes to a peak exactly in the center of that square structure. That's pretty impressive. And that's not something we could probably do today either. Now, there's also this. Around the world, there have been these giant skeletons, and especially in North America, where they've been shipped to the Smithsonian and systematically lost. Um, this one in Wisconsin is famous. It, it came with a, I think this is the one that had a, a copper uh, like suit of armor on and lots of other things in the tomb. And they they still have some of that in the Smithsonian, but they lost the the copper and the, and the skeleton. So uh, Harvard Medical School in 1890 had this skull. Now they claim it was a, it's a reproduction. I don't even know if they even have it anymore, but uh, the last I read about it in the 1920s or 30s, they claimed it was a reproduction uh, of a skull. Uh, no. And, and that's not what they said early on. So what's going on? And then this is one of the current mysteries. Let's watch this. Now, this is from uh, zmedia.com. Maria Z, uh, Maria Z, I appreciate that. She had Dr. Duncan on her program, and he was showing this microscopic view of the Pfizer vaccine. So he put a drop of the Pfizer vaccine under the microscope at 240 times magnification. And then he watched it. And this is a, he's circling that with his pointer there. He wants you to concentrate on that black blob in the middle. Now, the first thing you'll notice is all this detritus all over the place, including these tubular-like structures and, and, and all sorts of junk. Why is that in a Pfizer vial of a vaccine that you're going to inject into people? Pfizer says it's okay, but no, it's not okay. We never should have particulate matter like that in a, in a vaccine. But the other thing is, notice the square edge on that black center piece. The, nature does not make square things. So that is not a naturally occurring uh, condensation of stuff. It, I mean, it does make crystals, but this is not that. Now watch what happens here. This is being pulled apart overnight. This is a time lapse overnight being pulled apart. It's not just self-aligning. Um, it's being pulled by these little microbots on the top and the bottom. I cut the one on the bottom off in, the, in focusing this slide, but look at what it ends up. It, to me, this looks like a, uh, it looks like the old um, Intel CPU modules, the chips, the, the control chips of an of a old computer. This is not right. This should not be in a vaccine. Okay, so what are we dealing with here? And this is important because he found that if he put this vial in a Faraday cage, he did not get this result. If he did this experiment in a Faraday cage, you did not get the result. So my talk today is COVID, welcome to the apocalypse. And just remember that apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. It simply means oh, the unveiling, the great unveiling. And boy, howdy, are we learning things that we never learned before, mostly how we were lied to on every front here. You can find more of what I do on themedicalrebel.com, and I'm on Telegram, True Social. I don't do much on Twitter, to be honest, but uh, I'd love Telegram for its educational potential, and I have a lot of good stuff on my site, I think. It's under Freedom Doc 1. Uh, if you see a human being, that's not me. I always go use the plague doctor mask here. Now, if there's a conspiracy against humanity, which I believe there is, most people just can't believe it. They can't believe there could be a worldwide conspiracy that could keep secrets. 
Well, J. Edgar Hoover believed it. He said the individual is handicapped by coming face to face with a conspiracy so monstrous that he cannot believe it exists. That's the thing. You, you, might, you might believe in small things, but you don't believe that it could be this monstrous. Just like jo Joseph Goebbels said, if you tell a lie big enough, people won't believe it's a lie. Well, that's what's happening to us. And although I talk about the medical aspects of what's going on, quite frankly, this is a multidimensional war against humanity. It's not about nation state. states. Don't think about that. Nation states are artificial constructs. It's not about Russia bad, you know, England good, China bad, USA good. No, no, it's not like that. It's about a few people in the world that are waging war on the rest of us. And they've been doing it for generations, millennia. Okay. So the, the question is, how could this be happening? Who's doing it? Well, in 2011, excuse me, Gladfelter and his group in Switzerland of economists, they looked at 137 million corporations and they put them in a supercomputer. And it, this was done at the request of the Swiss government to see what the interlinking was about all these corporations. And they found out that those 137 million corporations were actually owned by 147 companies. And those companies in turn were controlled uh, by, uh, according to Forbes, they looked at those companies, they're all controlled by 10 big banks. Then somebody else in Wall Street looked at those 10 big banks and said, well, if you know how funds work, those are actually funds that are controlled by uh, – the four funds control all those banks, and they're run by 150 men. Apparently, women need not apply. Um, somewhere between 150 and 300 men, I believe, are really in charge of this whole thing. Maybe women. I don't know, but there are at least 150, 300 people. The, the reason I say 300 is the other bit of information comes from John Coleman's book, The Committee of 300, which traces back this whole money um, control organization to the Committee of 300 that controlled the East India Company. And they made their money off the opium trade to China. So that's essentially what's going on here. And, you know, this is not the one percent or this is the point zero 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 two percent of people. So that's that's a pretty good representation, I think, even though we don't know their names, all of them. I think we know some. Uh, we certainly have an idea of the size of the problem. There are a very small number of people that actually control through uh, their mechanisms. 8.5 billion people. Now, how can that work? Well, it's done through two things, hierarchy and compartmentalization. You know, God created us to have free will, and free will allows us to have, uh, you know, freedom to create, to, to agree, disagree, but we don't need hierarchy for free will. You can do your own thing. Your neighbor can do his own thing. You do need hierarchy to control people. So the minute you see, I, I honestly am convinced, the minute you see any hierarchy at the top of that, you're going to find abject evil. There's no reason for good guys to control people. So I can't, you know, verify that this is actually the levels in the pyramid, but it's a pretty good representation of an idea, even if some of the labels might be wrong. Okay. And, and I particularly like the currency, the idea that at the bottom, most of us little people, what are we here for? We're here to survive ourselves, feed our families, help the next generation. And that requires money or money as a currency of exchange of food and goods and services. It seems like, and, and most of the time, that's not driven by sex. I'm not saying sex people can't use sex for evil purposes at a low level, but that's usually not what happens. We're really about just money and taking care of our families. Government, however, seems to then 
get the, the sex thing comes in. And I don't think it's sex like we think of about getting trapped with a honeypot. It's also child child sex, murder, all sorts of stuff. And it goes up and you can see what it is. And at some point, then you, you the knowledge becomes important. This is where secret knowledge uh, is, a, is a currency. So very interesting slide I just ran across. Now, in 1954, there was a meeting of a group of these uber lords or uber parasites, as I like to refer to them. And they may have this 1954 is when the first meeting of the Bilderbergers was. So that might be it. But we don't know for sure. Nobody was paying attention back then. But it was not meant for public revealing. OK, they took notes of the meeting and they said in the notes, we should never let these get out because humanity or humans will realize we're waging war on them, a silent war. Well, the uh, minutes of the meeting, the notes of the meeting were accidentally found by somebody in a Xerox machine in a federal recycling place. And I have some provenance on those notes. Uh, G. Edward Griffin told me personally that those notes were, uh, he said, you want to know the person who found the notes? You want to meet him? I said, absolutely. So he knows the person personally, which says to me there's provenance, just like fine art. You can prove who the owners were back down into, you know, 100 years. Well, same thing here. So I believe this is true story. I don't think this is apocryphal. And when you read this book, and everybody should read this book, there's some technical stuff you can gloss over about econ economic principles. But the book itself tells you uh, what these people think of us. And essentially, the 1954, they're talking about figuring out what's happening with, with humanity and how they control, control humanity by looking at several things, looking at credit card purchases, barcodes in stores, and metadata. Now, think about that. In 1954, we didn't have any of that stuff. In fact, in 69, I was working in a grocery store. There were no barcodes. I had to punch into a crude cash register every digit of every item, and I had to figure the tax in my head and then add it in, and all it did was pull a lever, and that caused the thing to add up and open the drawer, but it didn't. We used cash. Nobody Cash or checks, but no credit cards, and we certainly did not know about computers and metadata. So these guys are, you know, we're talking four or five decades ahead of us probably at least a couple decades though. So, and, and here's, here's what they think of us. Now they raise some moral issues like, well, yes, if we have to decrease the population, you know, because they decided that, you know, human beings are basically, there are too many of us and they're too greedy. What are we going to do? So they're trying to figure out how to call the population. And this is what the exact words were. Although the so-called moral issues were raised, now keep in mind, this is the guy writing the notes of the meeting. Although the so-called moral issues were raised, in view of the law of natural selection, it was agreed that a nation or world of people who will not use their intelligence are no better than animals who do not have intelligence. Such a people are beasts of burden and stakes on the table by choice and consent. In other words, we're their, we're their serfs and their food. Unfortunately, no matter how I look at the world, I cannot, I cannot stop believing that we for millennia have been a, a farm and we've been farmed by something or some other people. Either they're people or they're not people, but we are, we are the cattle and they are the, the owners. And at the end of the day, they couldn't come up with a solution other than these two, benevolent slavery and genocide. Okay, so that is why we're in the apocalypse, because we are seeing how that genocide plays out. Um, and, and don't get depressed, because at the end, I'm going to tell you how we get out of this. <laughs> the secrets of how to manipulate life would not be given freely to a scum. That was told to me by Patrick Gunnels from reading Epic Threads, and, and we were in a podcast together. And that's so true. 
you know that is what this is about the 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 way the hierarchy and and compartmentalization work the compartmentalization of the hierarchy is so that only a few people at the top know the whole picture they tell people every every level gets a little more knowledge but they don't have the whole picture so they can't put the whole picture together you know the people in the secret societies they all think they're just doing good works or whatever and many of them do and the people that know more than that they also think that they're going to be okay that once they call the rest of humanity they will be the stars get news for those guys it doesn't work that way they always take you guys out first but the secrets this is what is what dark occultism is about occult just means hidden and dark occult means that you hide knowledge for your benefit and at the detriment of the people you're hiding it from so just like the bookie you know your bookie might know that the horse is lame but you don't know it so he makes money off of you he might tell a few of his friends at the top of the bookie world but he won't tell you because he's got to have a whole bunch of people on the bottom that he's going to fleece that's how he makes his money to cover his bets that's differential knowledge that's dark occultism in a different variant and that's where we are in the world today Oh, and by the way, let me just go back and say this about the people that are doing this. The people at the top of that pyramid, those 150 to 300 people, they didn't get there by being merit of some sort. They were, they were born into it. This is a bloodline. They're not accidental. You and I, this is like George Carlin said, this is a small club and you and I ain't in it. it, it it's, these, this really is the bloodlines and it goes way back. And these bloodlines can be traced through COVID, which is another whole lecture. Um, they're not as susceptible to what's happening, okay? They have a bloodline differential. So this is really true and provable. Now, the other thing they know is that words are much less powerful than images. If I put the word flood on a screen, you know, you'll say flood, okay, fine. But if I show you that, that, that has some emotional, it evokes some emotional response. That's really sad. What happened to the people you think, you know, this is, this is the benefit of images. It, it can stimulate our psyche in ways that words don't. And they know this. This is the point of symbolism. This is the point of movies and TV and all the things that they're hitting us with. Now, this is my favorite in terms of, of um, the information war. I go around and when I give live talks, I say, what is this thing? And people say to me, Oh, that's SARS-CoV-2, or that's uh, the coronavirus, or the spike protein. No, that is CGI, computer-generated image. That's not an electron microscopic photograph that people think it is. That's not anything. It's not even real. That can't do anything, but it can burn into your brain and make you afraid. It's kind of a scary-looking thing. I mean, if that's what the disease is, mm, I don't want that, right? Trust me, that's less damaging to you than my dryer balls. I could throw one of those at you and put your eye out. Those are real. Okay, this is not. Let's just keep this in mind. Visual images are just images. We're living in a world of CGI. Don't let them fool you with all this. And here's my favorite about this. Look, they're using the same CGI image, that blue ball with the spikes. Now they're calling it avian flu. Really? Is it, is it all the same? They all, you know, we have the same pictures. In fact, I've seen it use almost identical pictures to that one. So uh, this is just a nonsense. If I show you, by the way, I will show you later what a real virus looks like under the microscope. And your reaction is going to go, huh? Meh? What's that? You know, it doesn't look like anything except junk on the screen. So what if the media is largely an illusion? It is largely an illusion. These guys knew in the 50s that television was going to revolutionize their ability to psychologically manipulate us. And so tell a vision. Think of the words there, even if it's not light. It's tell a vision. It's a vision that they want to paint for you. Okay. 
And if that weren't bad enough, they also have, they also understand, and there are multiple patents around this, that that's called magnetotherapy, that there's electromagnetic fields that can be pumped out from monitors, like you sitting in your cubicle working on your computer monitor, if you're too close or whatever, I don't know how far they go, probably not from your TV 10 feet away, but there are wavelengths that come off these things that can change your mentation, your thinking, your emotions. We're going to talk about that significantly later, because I think that's at the heart of what we call COVID. Now, they call this predictive programming. And the predictive programming is the idea that I show you things before I'm going to do them to you. So you're, it softens you up and make you accept them that they're real, right? So this was from the 2012 uh, Olympics and it's the opening ceremony. Now, what this has to do with the Olympics uh, is a little bit bizarre. You, you start looking at this and you say, what has really been going on? And we haven't caught that in a long time. Now I look at all movies and TV shows and everything as predictive programming, but I don't think it's just predictive programming because predictive programming, theoretically, you have to know what it all means. And I'm going to show you that there are things in here that people could not have known what it meant. I know what it is now looking back on it and knowing some medicine to know what they're showing you. But I think the other thing, and this is what I, I truly believe, is that the people doing this to us, they practice an old religion, the old Babylonian religion of word magic and, and money magic. And they, they believe in this theory that if I tell you what I'm going to do to you and you, ex you accede to it, I don't have any karmic retribution. You know, if, you, if I tell you what I'm going to do and you still allow it to happen, then it's not my fault. You know, you should have been paying attention. So I don't have the karmic debt to pay. Because they believe they recycle and there's there's a there's they want to keep moving up the ladder, not down. I, I think that's what this is. But anyway, here's 2012 Olympic Games. And here's this, you know, first you've got this creepy black, tall, like Grim Reaper figure carrying a syringe. Um, at least I think that's a syringe. I don't think it's a magic one. I think it's a syringe. And you've got the Queen of Hearts. And what was her famous line? Off with their heads. Okay. But it's all a hospital motif. You've got nurses, you've got children, real children they put in these hospital gowns on these beds that were on a hydraulic lift that went up and down, okay? Pretty spooky stuff. And you've got, of course, dancing nurses. You always have to have dancing nurses and Olympics and doctors and people in white coats. What does this have to do, all these hospital beds and the dead baby? I love the idea of having a dead baby at every Olympics. That really says something to me about shot putting, right? It's, we didn't, why didn't we catch that this was just craziness? Here's from even earlier. This is the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. Now, here you have that creepy ball of spikes, right? But in this case, you've got dead naked bodies making up the ball. That's, that's a, certain, a certain psychological message there. But I want you to watch this video. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of narrate it as it goes, because the guy that did the video, he figured out what some of it was, but he didn't understand what other things were. Watch this. So he got the spike protein. He's, I mean, he got the spiky virus. Now, that's what he doesn't understand. I'm going to tell you, that is a, a parasite. Okay, here you have the, the blue balls. People dressed up like the, the SARS-CoV-2. And then you got the slave master and slave ships. Yeah, every Olympics has to have a slave master and slave ships. Right, right. And more spiky balls, more of the, more of the virus particles. But here you're going to see and more slave ships. You know, wait till you see what comes out of the balls here, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I've seen the exact same thing from the German group talking about cancer and parasites. That thing right there, the black thing, he, he's got it wrong. He's going to show you Kerry Made's thing, okay? And I, I know it, that's a whole different issue. This is a parasite, okay? And it's, it is, that's almost identical out of the microscope. 
It's a parasite they see in cancer patients coming out of their red blood cells. Um, really creepy. So again, people could not have known what that is. But, but knowing now, in retrospect, I, I, I realize how much they told us in this little video, and we should be paying attention for the future. I'm listening to movies and things coming out today and going back and looking at the old things. I'll tell you one that's very predictive that has a lot of information is the blacklist. But that's really interesting what they tell you there. But that's the, that's the uh, yeah, you can't make this up. What does this have to do with the Olympics? But it's about death and it's about, um, you know, viruses and what they want you to, what, you, what they want you to believe. There it is. That is probably Trypanosoma cruzi, which is a which is a parasite that gives you within two weeks of contracting the parasite, you can have sudden cardiac death. And what are we seeing in our people that get the vaccine? And then later you can get myocarditis, arrhythmias, and later cardiac death. So I, I think that's what we're looking at now. The people we're dealing with, they don't play the short game. They're dealing with multi generational. They believe they come back in their families. They're always going to be reincarnated into this, this hellhole family that they're with. And so they play the long game. They're not there just for themselves, but for the big, big long-term planning. So here's, but this is, even this shows you that it didn't start in 2019. Now, this is a patent for the COVID-19 testing kits, right? System and method for testing for COVID-19 by Richard Rothschild in 2015. And this is in the Dutch patent office, but it's also in the American patent office. It's in multiple patent offices. So I'm going to tell you, this is real. Now the fact checkers, another reason you know it's real is all the fact checkers came out and said, false, 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 false. Okay. I had an intelligence guy tell me when fact checkers come out and say that, and they use maybe slightly different words, but basically the same kind of argument, that's an intelligence program. Well, this is, their, their argument that they use is distraction. They're distracting you from what the real evidence here is. They're saying, oh, that could be any Rothschild. That doesn't say it's one of the family of the banking house. No, and I don't care about that. What I'm caring about is that they called it a testing for COVID-19. Because if you remember, I was paying attention to this disease from the middle of December of 2019. And by, by the end of 2019, December, they were working on figuring out a name for it. And they they hemmed and hawed and they pretended to cogitate and come up with different options. And then they chose COVID-19. But you see, they already had it. This, they already knew what they were going to do. So this is a long-term planning. They got it. Okay. So COVID is not a disease. It's a program. And the program was three steps. It was your classic problem reaction solution, which they call the Hegelian dialectic. But I think it's the satanic dialectic because a big part of it is to make people give them fear. And fear not only makes you make bad decisions, it allows, in my opinion, demonic forces to get into you. You don't want to live in fear. God does not want you to live in fear. And, and we hear that over and over. And I think it's absolutely critical people understand that. That's how we win, is not living in fear. Okay. But the first thing they did is they convinced people of a new disease. And there's no evidence of what they convince people of. I will tell you a little later here. I mean, that, that's a whole long lecture on, on the lie about viruses. But this, is, this was a scam from the get-go. But they, they, they made it very – they used what, I, what, what uh, Max Kaiser talks about, crapification and complexification. So he made it so complex – that you missed the crapification. You missed that the science wasn't there. You missed that the logic wasn't there and that there was really no proof. Okay, it sounded really sciencey and all that. And it sounded very technically probably true. And so you had to just trust the, trust the scientists. Well, they were lying to you. 
And so they convinced you of this new disease and they made you afraid. They locked you. This classic psychologic programming. Uh, Albert Biederman, who studied the Korean War veterans, talked about this. And he said, you know, you how do you do how do you get people to turn to your will, you know, make them turn to your will? You you isolate them. You get them in a place where they're all by themselves, so they don't have anybody breathing a word of truth into them. And then you monopolize their perception. You tell them a bunch of stuff that are just you know make them afraid because and you confuse them. When you add fear and confusion, that's how you get Stockholm syndrome. At that point, people become so anxious when they're afraid and they're confused that they will do anything to get out of that zone. Anxiety is not a zone human beings can tolerate for very long. So by doing that, they force you into uh, doing something to get out of the zone. And people, some of us chose to fight. Some of us got, got quickly through that zone because we realized it was a scam and that this was a war and we had to fight. And that got me out of the zone. But for people that didn't have that option, they got out of the zone by taking the solution the government gave them. They got in the masks, they washed their hands. Oh, if they say five times a day, I'll do it 10 times a day and I'll wear three masks and I'll wear a mask even in the pool and I'll, uh, I'll get that in vaccination and many, many updates whenever they tell me to. That's the problem. Fear will make you do stupid things, okay? But fear in itself will cause disease, and fear in itself will cause you to be infested with bad things, I think. That's just my worldview now. Didn't If I'd said this 10 years ago, I would have thought I was batshit crazy, but no, I believe it now. And I, I am quite surprised at the people I know that were raised and lived their whole life as a, as a conventional Christian churchgoer and didn't recognize Satan in the street trying to kill their children. That's that's really the, the shocking point to me. But in any case, they under the guise of safety, they got people to take the solution. Now see they came up this is the this is the the sequence what happened to us, but their sequence was they started with a solution. They've wanted to have a universal vaccine forever. They wanted to have it with HIV. They couldn't get enough people afraid enough to take it. They tried with H1N1. They got some Europeans to take it, but not very many Americans. So they had to make it scarier, and they succeeded with this one. So somewhere in the Western world, between 60 and 70%, they claim are vaccinated, sometimes in some places a lot more. I'm not sure I believe all those numbers in America, but we don't know. We're, the numbers are very, being hidden, so we don't really know. But this whole thing depends on one enabling lie. And that is that there are such things called viruses. There are these little micros submicroscopic, invisible, unprovable product, unprovable little uh, animalcules that are like flying unicorns that come out of your mouth and can go over and to infect another person. You might think that transmission of viral disease has been proven, but trust me, it has not. And I'm going to go into that in just a minute. But there's a whole, I could do a whole hour and a half lecture just on that point. So keep in mind, there's a lot more evidence I'm not going to show you. But just like Hitler came to power and they always blamed it on the Congress of Germany, the enabling acts, this is the enabling lie. And if we dismantle this lie, if people realize this is a lie, this whole house of cards falls down. If there are no vaccines, if there are no viruses, you see, there's no reason for vaccines. So what is disease? Okay, what do we know about disease? Well, disease does not imply causation. We don't, you know, just... Think about this is like if I stab somebody in the heart or I shoot them in the heart, they show up in the emergency room with a hole in their heart. All we know is that there's a hole in their heart. We don't know what caused it. It has symptoms and we can describe those symptoms. And that's what we tend to do with disease. We think by, by describing all the symptoms, we understand exactly what caused it. And that's not true. 
when you deal with infectious disease, we're supposed to prove causation. We're supposed to prove the organism and that it was trans. We were supposed to show how it was transmitted. And none of these were done in this case. Now, by contrast, uh, in 1918, they really did try to prove what was going on. They had all these people getting sick. It wasn't this, they called it the Spanish flu just to distract you because it really started in Fort Riley, Kansas. This was during the preparations for our troops going over to World War I. And initially they set up a medical school in Kansas. And I'll get a little bit more to that later. But the but they but they they set up a medical school. They started doing they started diseases started breaking out around this medical school. Just kind of reminds me of the Ukrainian labs as soon as and the other labs. That not just Ukrainian, but our labs run in the old Soviet republics. As soon as they would get one up to snuff, they'd get one renovated. They'd have all these weird diseases break out around it. What was that all about? And then they would come around and they would vaccinate the population in Kansas to, to go along with this, this disease. And that plays a role in what we see. But here's what they did to try and prove what was going on in 1918. The first thing is um, the third biggest hit city that was hit was Boston. It had 5,000 deaths, which if you add that up as the third biggest city, you realize the numbers that they told you later in life about the pandemic of 1918 were not true. This is a faux pandemic, just like COVID initially was a faux pandemic. Before the vaccine, the deaths were completely normal for that year. They were not accelerated. Okay, It was basically a few bit bump, but not enough to even make a bump on the statistical curve. It was only after the vaccine did the bump go up. Well, it turns out that this was a this was more than that. But it was because of the, but it was not initially. Okay. And I, I'll tell you how I got my, my evidence. I went, I just didn't, you, you can't find this if you just go to the textbooks of medicine, trust me, or even the journals or the, or the neat internet articles with pretty pictures. You won't find this. What you have to, what I've done is I've gone to the Kansas archive, I've gone to the Navy archive, I've gone to the old newspapers, and then I've read, uh, certain certain publications relative to this in old old medical journals and you come up with a different picture so it wasn't there weren't a million deaths in america in fact you're i think it, i think 150,000 would be a, a big number but it might be true but it but it's hard to add that up when you start trying to look at the numbers you see around county by county and city by city they just don't add up to this that much but third biggest city boston 5,000 deaths. They tried to figure out what was going on. So they had a hospital there and they, the, the United States Navy and the public health service got together and they started looking at these people and they put what they would have the experiment. They got 118 volunteers. And what they did was they, um, they had these volunteers. They said, don't touch the patient, but we want you to, to, we have these patients that are really, really sick and dying. What we want you to do is put your face down over that patient's face. And when they breathe out, we want you to breathe in. You know, so um, and they, and that's that's pretty gutsy to be a volunteer for that. But in, in point of fact, it turns out they may not have been completely volunteers uh, because they had their 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 jail time commuted or commuted after they did the volunteering. I think they were actually in the Navy brig is how they got these guys. But in any case, this was done at the United States Naval Hospital and another another public health hospital. And so they did that. They had them breathe in the exhalations of the dying, 118 volunteers, zero transmission. Not one of those 118 got sick. Then they said, well, okay, let's ratchet it up. And they put a swab in the, in the dying person's nose and, and mouth and got some of the goobers out of there. I think that's an orthopedic term. And then they stuck them in the nose and the mouth of the volunteer, didn't transmit the disease, zero got sick. 
So then they said, well, okay, we'll, we'll inject it. So then they took some of this stuff and they actually injected it into the well people. They, they mixed it with saline, spun it down, made a, made a solution, injected it into these 118 volunteers and none of them got sick. So what's going on here? In fact, horses, by the way, got sick in 1918, but they couldn't take, they tried taking a, a feed bag from a sick horse and putting it on a well horse. It never transmitted the disease. So what is going on? Well, at that point, they did what we should have done for COVID, but we were told not to do, and that is they got pathologists involved. Now, the joke in medicine is pathologists know everything but too late, okay? But that is their job, is to figure out what causes death, what's causing this. And they, and that's, you know, a systematic study of a new disease has always been done up until COVID, as far as I know, up until the age of viruses. They've, they've, they've actually tried to do this, but they sent Dr. William Welch, who was a part of the public health service, but he was at uh, Johns Hopkins, which figures prominently in this outbreak too, right? Johns Hopkins. So they sent Dr. William Welch and the pathologist from the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology down to Fort Riley, Kansas, and they did all these autopsies. And they, what they found is they found bacterial pneumonia, blood in the lungs, and sometimes they just couldn't find anything that accounted for the death. So people were dying and they said, we just don't know what it is. That's what their conclusion was in 1918. They kept thinking of, they wanted to, they were told it was this new thing called a virus, but they couldn't prove it. Okay. But lest you think that's just for lack of, um, technology, right? In a hundred years later, this Chinese group in 2018, they re-looked at all those pathologic specimens. They went to the AFIP, they got the blocks of the of the the histology and things, and they subjected them to modern virologic and um, bacteriologic and uh, genetic technologies, right? And at the end of the day, they said all 68 cases has histologic evidence of bacterial pneumonia. And 94% showed abundant bacteria on gram stain. But they kept saying, so we don't know what caused it. Well, okay. But they should have been able, they should have concluded maybe it wasn't a virus since they all had bacterial pneumonia. What, what the problem was is that bacterial pneumonia had been around. They knew about bacterial pneumonia and it didn't kill as many people as they were seeing die with this. So again, it didn't explain what was happening, but it certainly wasn't as advertised. Now, now we have to look at what influenza really is to understand this and what we knew about influenza and what we know now and, and looking back at this. Now, influenza does not mean uh, a virus, okay? We call it influenza A as if that's a virus. You see how they change words to make your mind warped around this whole thing. But influenza is actually Italian. It just means influence because they didn't know what caused it. In the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, they didn't have a yearly flu season. It only occurred like uh, once every decade or three decades or four decades, it would break out. But here's the interesting point. When it would break out, it would break out all around the world, all simultaneously, all at once. And that couldn't happen by transmission because in the ages of wooden ships and iron men, as they say, you couldn't sail that fast. You couldn't go from America to uh, England that fast or to the next landmass. You couldn't pass it around that way. It was it was a simultaneous outbreak. And in fact, thanks to the British Admiralty, oh, we have logs of these old sailing ships. As the flu was breaking out on the continent and in England, these guys would get flu and they're isolated at sea. They never came in contact with land or another ship. So how did that happen? Right. So here's what it turns out to be. We started having the yearly quote, flu season, which I'll just stop calling it that and call it the yearly winter death season. That's a better term. But it started happening after we laid down the telegram lines in roughly the 1850s, right? 
And it people started getting sick right under the telegram lines and along the, the railroads because they laid the telegram lines along the railroads. So the people getting this were telegram operators, uh, railway conductors, brakemen, the people that were working around the station and in these lines. And they found, and, and that, and in further evidence that that had something to do with this new disease is the um, fact that when, when they started taking a long twist in the wire, instead of laying straight copper wire, they made a long twist in it and the disease symptoms went down. People didn't get as sick. It didn't completely take it away, but they didn't get as sick. But that's when we started having, after we laid, you know, bazillion miles of copper all around the world with these telegraph sing- signals that went out, that, that, that they could find made, made wavelength um, could be transmitted through soil at far distance from where they were doing it. Um, they found out that they still had a yearly flu, a yearly death season starting. Okay. So some good um, thinking astronomers started looking and they went back. Now this, this is just a graph from 1900, but they went back into the 1600s and they showed that the pandemic influenza breakouts were correlated. The ones that didn't come out every, every year, every 10 years, they, they correlated to the sunspot cycles. And I mean, this is just showing you the correlation in the 1900 to 2000. But if you go back into the 1600s, they didn't occur quite as often, but they were always on a big sunspot cycle. In fact, the other day, I had about 10 people contact me because they started having a cough and they couldn't get rid of it and they were miserable. And, and, and I had a little cough. Well, I know I'm watching the sunspots weather cycle on Telegram and I discovered we're in a we just had a huge sun flare about, you know, 10 days before I'm giving this lecture or two weeks before I give this lecture. And it caused people to get this kind of dry, hacky cough and not feel well. Why would that be? Okay, it's because we are electromagnetic beings. Our metabolism depends on electro electron gradients. And so does pretty much everything. Every cell in the body has, has these channels. They're called voltage-gated ion channels. And when you're in an electromagnetic environment, what happens is suddenly these channels start acting funny. They start opening up because they're, they're getting different signals. They shouldn't be getting those signals. And they're opening up when they shouldn't be. And you're getting a rush of calcium into the cells and you start getting jittery. Okay, It's like hypercalcemia. It kind of makes you jittery. Um, and you can have mental problems and anxiety and all sorts of different things that happen due to the effects of the EMF. We know a lot about this now that they didn't know about it then, but but they they called it uh, neurasthenia. You hear that was a name given to it in Boston in the 1970s or 1870s. And that disease is still among us. OK, um, we still have people that are very sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies, but this was when it was first coming out and they're far less then than there are now. Now, the other thing that was noted in 1918 was the guys that went to war, to the to the training down in Fort Riley, Kansas, getting ready for World War One, they actually, uh, the doctors noticed that it was not the big, you know, strapping farm boys that were surviving the best. It was the scrawny city kids that you would have thought would have been picked off first, but they were actually better survivors. Now, why would that be? It's because they had been exposed to electromagnetism. This is what cities were starting to look like by 1918. This is like Boston or or Baltimore or New York City or Chicago. They all had these wires everywhere before we figured out how to hide them. Now, you can hide them, but you still have the electromagnetic effect, by the way, of this. So we have this. So they had all these wires and they started having uh, they, they were slowly exposed. So we have a principle of physiology called Cannon's law of the body. And what it says is that the body responds to rate of change, 
not absolute levels, but rate of change. In other words, if you get to, if you get exposed slowly to something, you can adapt to it to some degree and do better than if you're suddenly forced on it. Well, these farm kids were coming from the hills of Tennessee and the wilds of Nebraska and places where they weren't used to any electricity. They go down and they go down to Fort Riley, Kansas. And guess what Fort Riley, Kansas had a school to train people for? Being telegram operators. So they go down and they're sitting underneath these wires and they're starting to get sick, especially the big farm boys. And but but if you want to know the rest of the story, you have to read this book by by Eleanor McBean. It's not the only evidence, by the way, but this is a great book. Um, she was a child in, in, at the time. She became a physician, but she was a child during the 1918 pandemic. And she and her family would go out and it would help the sick and dying at the at the base and around the town and wherever they were needed. And she made the observation that none of the volunteers even got a sniffle. But the people were dying. Even the people that got sick, only the people dying would have vaccinated. <laughs> out that they pushed vaccines when when people started when this new medical school was put up in about the like beginning or beginning roughly of 1917 maybe late 1916 i can't remember the exact date but they started this medical military medical school and suddenly they had an outbreak of typhoid fever in the middle of kansas i'm not sure how that happens i don't think of typhoid fever in the united states but okay different times maybe they had an outbreak or maybe they brought it the guys coming back from panama in the military could have happened but they had some typhoid fever and the response was to get these crude vaccines from the rockefeller foundation and take them down to give to these guys in in the in the in the military that were coming this is the first time we mass vaccinated our military before they went to war so they they got these crude vaccines from the rockefeller foundation and so they also pushed them on the Native Americans down there, specifically like the they would, that were an easy target. You know, you're taking government medicines, you're getting free health care theoretically, and you're on reservations. You're a target. You're an experimental target. So they gave it to all these guys. That's where it really first broke out was on this Native American school, and they called it streptogrip. But first, the first thing that happened is they got typhoid fever. They got these vaccines. Three months later, all these people started coming down with meningitis. Now, trust me, meningitis, a big outbreak of meningitis, the biggest outbreak I can find up, up, up until this time in 1918 of most of the 20th century and now is nine gay, gay guys in San, San Francisco. Generally, it, you know, we have this fear, this dread of meningitis because it's, it's, a, it's a bad disease when one person gets it, but they don't usually spread it to a school. You know, if you notice, you'll have oh meningitis person in school and everybody has to run out and get vaccinated. They, 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 they isolate people and everything, but it's only one guy gets it or maybe two people at the most. It is not is not due to the, the what we think it is. But they but they're but what they did was then they when those people got meningitis, 40 percent of the military down there developed meningitis. That is totally never seen before or since. It's those crude vaccines they were given, I suspect. And so then they get them make that let's double down now they Rockefellers come and they give them another group of vaccines for the meningitis and six months later this whole thing breaks out 1918 breaks out and i just want to point out let's look at the pattern of vaccination and when people have started to die 
recently, okay? It's about a six-month lag before the death starts taking off, before people start getting sick, because it damages your immune system, and it takes a while for your immune system to collapse. And that's what happened. And, and if you want to know another little interesting bit of trivia, the guy that the guy that pushed the vaccines that was the communicator between the Rockefeller Foundation and the military down in Kansas and the public health in Kansas was a guy named Frederick Lamar Gates. You can't make this up. His father was the right hand man to uh, to John D. Rockefeller. So that's the story. Now, in COVID, unlike in 1918, we didn't try to figure out what it was. In fact, they went out of their way to falsify what it was. The first thing they did is they they outlawed autopsies. They said, oh, no, you guys don't do autopsies. You might spread the disease. What? No, that's what pathologists are for, guys. And uh, but, but the next the, the even before that, they they faked the tests. The, the tests are done. And, and this again, this is complicated enough that it takes a while to go through. But bottom line is you have three point four two billion bases in your genome. Okay, those are the little individual amino acid head ribonucleic or deoxyribonucleic acids that make up your genetic material. And we label them with with GCTA. Okay, that's just kind of the the, the shorthand. So you have 3.42 billion of these GTCA, AAATGGGGG, whatever the, you know, all sorts of of, uh, sequences of those amino acid based things that makes your genome. And we know, or we've been told, that viral genome, the so-called dreaded viruses, that they've left their genetics in us and it passes down through generations so that we genetically carry within us the the sequences of viruses. And yet, how do they test for you're having a virus? Okay, They, they put this swab in your nose. And by the way, this test was devised by Kerry Mullis, who conveniently died just before the outbreak of COVID. Because he was blowing the whistle on the whole thing. He said, you can never use these tests for diagnosis and Fauci's an idiot. <laughs> That's probably what got him killed. But he he said, these tests are very, very sensitive. You have to do them in a lab. This can't be done in a mass way. It has to be done in a sterile environment, very clean, sterile environment. It has to be kept very precisely temperature. You have to cycle it correctly. In other words, there's a huge problem of doing it with quality control when you try and mass produce it in the lab. But that's exactly what they did. Think about it. They were putting it in somebody's nose in a parking lot, waving it in the air a little bit, and then taking it back in the lab and running it through a machine and saying, you got a virus. And guess how many bases were on that test? 16, one six. So you, they're going to tell you, I swab you, a 3.42 billion base person with a 16 base test, and I'm going to tell you, you have a virus? That is some nonsense. By the way, 50% of your genome, uh, you have in common with a banana. Now, and, and there's probably 60 or 70% if you're a politician. But the point here is that the, the testing was designed to give a positive answer. I tell you, I looked at, I ran the, there's a thing called the BLAST program where you can take a genetic sequence, a short sequence, put it in the BLAST program and it'll tell you what it's from. So early on, now this doesn't show this now because they figured out they can't get away with this fake. They changed it. But the, but when I first tested what they published, they had put on these tests, they published the gene genomic sequence they put on these 16 base tests. I ran those 16 bases through BLAST and they all came back Homo sapiens, in other words, the human being, Homo sapiens gene eight, Homo sapiens gene five. That's exactly right. And 
Besides that, they ran the test, they overcycled them. So they did everything to make these tests a false positive. That's the point I'm going to make. And then they misdefined a case. Since the time of Hippocrates, a case was a sick person. You don't call a TB case somebody that just has a positive TB test, right? Tuberculosis. You have to be sick. But in this case, they started calling anybody that had a positive test as a case of COVID. And they treated them like they had to be isolated, that blah, blah, blah. That's nonsense, but it inflated the numbers. And so as the numbers went up, people got scared. That was what this whole thing was about. Now, Here's the autopsy I, that I'm going to tell you is the key point here is that when they finally did autopsies, okay, some, some pathologists about in, in finally got tired of this nonsense of not doing autopsies. So they looked at all these people that had had autopsies done on them. They found 28 papers where somebody had stepped outside of the official recommendation of the WHO and CDC, and they did autopsies. And what did it show? And they published this a year and a half into this pandemic, right? Into the, after COVID broke out, almost two years after COVID broke out, they published this paper. It had 341 cases that they reviewed, 28 papers, and they put a meta-analysis. And this is what they concluded. They said, despite attention to an investment in quantifying global burdens of disease, the diagnosis in the majority of COVID-19 related deaths currently remain unclear. So at the time they were mandating, you take a vaccine, they did not know what this disease was. They didn't know what was killing people. That's how pathetic this really is. If nothing else, that tells you the lie right there. So here's the other point. Okay, remember, you have to, to prove causation. You have to prove that there is something that causes, the, that there's a pathogen. Now, we know in bacterial diseases, we can prove that there's a tuberculosis pathogen. We can isolate it. I can do it literally when I was 10 years old. My dad and I did it in, a, in our bedroom, uh, in my bedroom. Uh, he showed me how to do a bacterial swab and culture and how to how to isolate make a pure pure quality we did when my nose and figured out what was growing in my nose it was very cool okay but you can't do that with viruses because you can't see them can't touch them can't look at them can't isolate them they're all mixed in with other stuff so they only use genetic sequences to prove the pr presence of a virus and that's nonsense that's like that's like backwards circular reasoning Oh, it's a virus because it's got these genetic sequences. Oh, we found these genetic sequences, so that's a virus. It's just a circular reasoning. But here's what they they actually this is this is the um, you know there there was the original paper that was published on February twentieth, and they say right in the paper that they don't they don't do an isolation. That is not an isolation that's done of the pathogen, and the Chinese admitted it. We have we have them on tape and in publication. Not to mention that they've requested formally in FOIA requests and things around the world a sample of a pure isolate of SARS-CoV-2, and nobody can supply it. In 96 countries, I think, now that they've tried, and, 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 um, and the CDC, for example, and the uh, um, public health people up in Canada. So what we have is we have what they did was they put they did a what's called a bronchoscopy they did it down into the person's lung they sucked out some fluid they put pcr tests in them what they call primers in the lab so they use primers and these are these little short 16 segment base tests and they got a whole bunch of those and they then put them into a machine and it spits out little pieces little longer pieces it takes the 16 and it looks at them and it kind of figures out, well, that one could be an overlap with this one. And so blah, 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 blah. It fits, it puts up pieces that are up to 150 base pairs. 
or basis. That's what it shows you. And it gives you all these different pieces. And then you put it into another computer program called an alignment program. And it puts the pieces together in such a way that it pick that, that you come up with something that you decide and you vote on and you fill in the holes and you manipulate a little bit and you say, that's the viral genome. That's literally how they did it. That's why we call it an in silico genome because it only exists on a computer. And they call it a consensus genome because they had to agree on the final decision, what it was. There, there, it's a consensus because we had to vote on it at the end of the day. I mean, not necessarily a formal vote, but you know what I mean? They got together and they decided that's what it is. Now, let me tell you, this is the analogy. Let's suppose I, by the way, of these, of those, after they got them, these little longer segments to put together in the machine to come up with the, the genome, they had 57 million fragments that were 150 bases long. Okay, 57 million. What if I gave you 57 million puzzle pieces? Everybody's put together jigsaw puzzles. So I give you 57 million puzzle pieces and I say to you, we've never seen this before, but there's a picture in there. Can you put it together, please? And you say, well, wait a minute. How big is it? Well, we don't know. Well, uh, you know, we're guessing it's about 30,000 pieces in the puzzle, but we don't know for sure. Wow. Well, uh, what's the picture of? Well, we don't have that picture because we don't have a box. Do we have edge pieces? No, we don't have edge pieces. And then you're supposed to put this thing together. <laughs> That's essentially what they did. They started out with 57 million fragments and they threw away down to 30,000. They had to diminish down to 30,000 at the end of the game. At the end of the day, they ended up with a 30,000 base virus that they extracted from these little fragments. Okay. So they used small fragments to infer larger sequences, and that's not legitimate logic. This is Stefan Lanka. He's a PhD in virology, but now he says he's German. He says, no, no, don't call me that. I'm a PhD in biology now. Anyway, the basic, this is his quote, the basic insight is that these manipulations simply do not correspond to any complete or known genetic material of a virus. In other words, they didn't have anything to start with. So all this computer manipulation is just like global warming, right? They're using computer models. And they, when they, and they, but at least in global warming, we have something to base reality on. We can measure and realize it's a lie, right? But this is like a magic object that you can't measure. You can't say it doesn't exist. I can't tell you there's no virus out there, but there's no proof of it, right? There's just no proof of it. Here's actually the picture that I promised you. Remember the blue spiky thing that we thought was so fearful? This is really what a virus looks like. And oh, by the way, and one of these blocks is viruses and the other is exosomes. Exosomes, they, th they say, are like viruses that are internal to the, to, the, to the cell. In other words, if you have a genetic, if you have some genetic material wrapped in a lipoprotein membrane inside the cell, they call it exosomes. If it's outside the cell, they call it viruses. What? <laughs> so... That seems to be the case. And this is a picture of exosomes. They claim that these exosomes will be, you know, coming out of the cell. Well, how do, how do you know? Here, here's a picture that they're showing you. Now, they put an arrow there, right? But if they wanted to convince you that was a virus, they just reversed the arrow. So picture this. This is like a black and white photograph of a guy standing outside a bank, and he's got a gym bag in his hand. Black and white photograph. He's just standing there. It's a still life photograph. You can conclude either he's going into the bank to rob it, or he's just come from the bank having robbed it, or he's just passing by going to the gym. You don't know because it's a still life. So when they tell you up there on those exosomes that those are leaving the cell membrane, not going in, how do they know? They have no way of knowing that. That's the problem. And so they see these things on the inside of the cell that are identical to viruses, 
And yet they call those something different. So they don't have to explain why those people aren't sick because all people have them, right? Oh, this is my own little attempt at making a meme. The, the, uh, the reptilians having a good time at a cocktail party. And then let's call our EMF and, and toxicity and poisoning a virus, right? That's exactly what we're doing. We're, every time people get sick, we're labeling it a virus because it's a mythical object we can use however we want. But keep in mind that in Latin, virus does not mean a, a pathogen, it means toxin. And I think we need to change our understanding of the world to reflect that. This is how we get out of it. So if there are no viruses, here's the question, why do we get sick in the winter? And here's the answer. So you get sick in the winter because your batteries are literally discharged. Grandma was right when she used to say, you need to get some rest. You're, you're running your batteries down, okay? Or whatever, something like that, she used to say to me. Um, it turns out, the other big lie, by the way, that we were told in medical school is you aren't plants. You don't get any direct energy from the sun. That's not true. So it turns out that every cell in our body is actually, yes, a battery. And it's got, it's filled with gel, gelatin. It's not filled, you know, they tell, tell us we're 80% water, but it's not, if it were just water, you don't get cut and have it leak out. Your water is in what, what Dr. Pollock says in Washington state. That's where there's a lot of this research and these pictures come from. Uh, the fourth state of water, it's gel water. So it's water that has proteins and things. And it's like, think about a bowl of jello, okay? And, but in each of our cell, there is an active energy gradient that gives us a battery. Okay, we have negative and positive charges in the cell. And when you get a toxin, let's say you get, uh, I don't know, arsenic, I mean, even, or because remember, you can be poisoned with a little bit of arsenic and you survive it. So you, it doesn't matter what you get. It can be the toxicity of the perfume of the woman next door, you know, that has this cheap perfume that you constantly smell. And it's a, it's a toxic thing. Those are, those are little toxins getting into you. Um, um, the toxins on planes from all the, toxic stuff they spray around and you breathe in over your recycle so what all those toxins get into you and they get into your cells that's how they make you sick but your body has a great system for getting them out and it works just like in the lab if anybody's been in a lab and know about gel electrophoresis that's what it is is that you if you're in a gel and you apply a charge you can push toxins and and, and biomolecules out of the cell he did it with a piece of nafion, which is like plastic, but he's showing you the charge differential. The green is one charge around the, the, around the toxin, and the blue is the other water of the, of the cell. So it, it puts a charge around the, the object, and then it pushes it out of the cell. So in the winter, what happens? Well, in, let's start in the summer. In the summer, you're out in the sun a lot. You're getting a lot of infrared and near-infrared uh, wavelength. That's the wavelength you want for this, and it charges up your cells. So you've got a lot of energy. You can work long, you can play long, you can stay up later because the sun's up later. But what happens in the winter? Unfortunately, we have electric lights. And although the sun has gone down, it's cold, we're inside. So we're not getting that energy boost from the sun, but we're pretending like we have all this energy. We stay up late getting ready for Christmas, you know, cleaning the house for, you know, New Year's parties. We drink too much. We do all these things in the winter and we're getting toxified, but we don't have a way of getting rid of it. So our batteries are discharged and discharging. We have some extra charge to start the winter, but by, by December, January, February, that's pretty much run down. And that's when we start seeing the death season really take off. People start dying. And it tends to be the people with the rundown immune systems, the elderly, um, people that uh, are highly toxic and they don't have any energy reserves. So 
it, 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 one of those things that we need to understand about why we all get sick in the winter, it's not because we're all inside in re- recycled air. It's because we all have our batteries running down about the same time. So here's your bowl of jello. And let's suppose I put some toxins in there. Here are the toxins, it's a bunch of like pepper. And I, and I shake them into the, into the jello. Now this is, I'm making up a new bowl of jello. So the gelatin's liquid now. And I put these pepper things and they can, they're going to disperse throughout the gelatin. And then this is going to harden up. And that's a, that then looks like a cell, right? With toxins in it. Now, how am I going to get rid of those toxins? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is melt the jello a little bit. And then they'll, they'll float to the surface. They'll come out. I can start pushing them out. That's what happens in your, in your body when you get sick. When you get enough toxins in the cell, you start getting a fever. Your body has a good response to this. It gets a fever because in the fever, it softens the gel in your cells. But what do doctors do? Oh, they give you, you know, ibuprofen. The minute you got a fever, oh, here, take this. Get your temperature down. Turns out that's what killed a lot of people in 1918. Bayer aspirin had lost its um, patent, and they gave all these people aspirin. And and they gave it in big doses to get the temperature down in these young guys, and they started bleeding into their lungs. And that's what they found on some of the pathology, bloody lungs. These people were, were observed to be fine one minute, and the next minute they're just bleeding out of their lungs because their lungs are all inflamed from all the, the, the combination of the electromagnetic stuff. That's what it does. It irritates lungs. And then the 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 toxins of the vaccine and then the, the aspirin was the final straw, kind of like today, electromagnetic frequency, a toxic drug and a vaccine. So that's what happens. So don't take any medicine when you get sick. That's not what you should do. If your temperature goes up, you want to take it down. If it gets above 103.5 and you're uncomfortable, sponge yourself in a bath, sponge your child in a bath. Do not take Tylenol. It's the most toxic drug out there. They know it. Do not take ibuprofen. They've done studies in India. They showed years ago that if you have polio or tuberculosis and you take an anti-inflammatory to bring your temperature down, you have an increased risk of paralysis, death, and prolongation of the disease. And we've forgotten those, those studies, okay, purposely, I think. So don't, don't be a victim of these idiots. So anyway, we do that, and we, this is how we get rid of toxins. We heat it up. And then we spit it out with our, ba- with, our, with our battery. We put charges around it, and it acts like, a, like an electromagnetic gel. Now, the next part of this, and I, I know I'm a little over, so I'll be quick, but this is the, this is the key point here about what, we're, what they're doing to us and how we get out of it. And again, from my friend Patrick Gunnels at Threadfest, he said, sufficiently advanced intelligence is indistinguishable from madness. It's one of my favorite quotes. In other words, if you're way ahead of the curve understanding what's going on, people think you're crazy. That's really it. Well, I found this in the Russian literature because this is the only thing you can find in English is this picture. But when you try and read about it, it's a little hard because you have to read Russian. I knew my college Russian would pay off someday um, with some help from the, the, the translators. But what, what the thing of it is, Kaznachev was a doctor, and he was in Novosibirsk in like the 1920s or 30s, or Siberia in the winter. I guess he had lots of time to study things. And what he did is he did a study where he put cells of identical type in two different containers that were that were connected only by an optical window but isolated from the outside world so they were all hermetically sealed but but they could see each other the cells could see each other through the window but were not connected to each other and then he poisoned side a and they would watch to see what happened to side b and by the way he would poison side a with different things he could use radiation he could use uh like arsenic he could use bacterial toxins whatever he used then he watched what happened to side b and the answer was if a glass window, like window glass was in the, in the optical window, nothing happened to side B, no matter how long you watched. But if quartz was in the window, 
then after about 12 hours, let's say he irradiated side A, after about 12 hours, side B would start dying of the same thing like side A. If he used arsenic, then side A would start dying, having, you know, chemical death, then side B would die in the same pattern. So what's the difference between quartz and window glass? Well, quartz allows electromagnetic uh, wavelength through in the ultraviolet and near ultraviolet wavelength. So the Russians called this the photoni smerti, the death photons. Okay. So they, they thought they were ultraviolet wavelength, the photons in the ultraviolet wavelength that were transmitted from one cell type to another that caused this. Now, in favor of that, okay, we then years and almost a century later here, we have Luc Montagnier and Jacques Bienveniste. And Luc Montagnier famously invented the, uh, or discovered, claimed to have discovered the human immunodeficiency virus, the AIDS virus, and then recanted it just before <laughs> it was time to get his Nobel Prize. And the guy still gave it to him, probably with a big tight jaw, the guys in Oslo. But anyway, both of these guys discovered that bioactive molecules like DNA or immunoglobulins, if you put them in water and then diluted them out, they left behind, even though there's not, they're not in the water anymore, they're left behind an electromagnetic signature. And that you could capture that electromagnetic signature and project it into other water and recreate an effect or the, the molecule. Um, that's a big deal, okay? Uh, so Luc Montagnier, for example, had DNA. He, he shook it up, diluted it out, and then he captured the signature, sent it to his friend in Italy, and his friend in Italy projected it onto... Um, a, a beaker of fluid and created the DNA, recreated the DNA. Now, where, what's the point that I'm telling you this about? Because that's, that's this proven science. And what are we doing with all these 5G towers, right? We can project wavelength with these 5G towers. What if they capture the death photons of some disease and they project it out into the population using these? You see, that is actually doable. And it gets even worse, okay? So one of the problems is, is that when you are, that humans are only, we're, we have a big, we have a big coating over us. It's a little hard to get that wavelength into where they want to get it, right? And to have it be very specifically targetable. But what if I gave you something injection and I could put it into, I could have it be, part of a certain cell type, I could spatially arrange it so that I could then maximize the effect of the wavelength. And that's optogenetics. I got, I found about this, I learned about this by accident because I was researching Feng Zhang at the Zhang lab. He's the guy credited with having developed CRISPR technology that can do precise gene editing. And, and he's been kind of, the whole thing with CRISPR has kind of been predictive programmed in the X-Files and they've been talking about it. And I was given a kind of a secret paper that was written by some scientists, looks like maybe Chinese people. They didn't sign it, but they wanted people, they, they came out like they wanted people to know this. I think it's all scam now, but they wanted people to know about this RNA technology, that it wasn't what they were saying, that it wasn't making a spike protein, it was making something else. And the only guy that could have done this is Feng Zhang. And they pointed to him at the MIT lab and they dropped him under the bus. Okay. So I started looking at Feng Zhang Interestingly, here's a guy that developed CRISPR, but when you go on his website, what's he say? He says, well, you know, when it comes to gene editing, we can do gene knockdown, meaning they can silence a gene or get rid of a gene, but they can't, he says, we can't do really precise insertion. And I went, 
what? I thought that's what this whole thing was about with these RNA vaccines. Well, it turns out his PhD is in optogenetics. And optogenetics is changing the behavior of cells based on wavelength. So the next level of that is photobiomodulation in optogenetics, meaning that you, you, you get something into the body, into the, into the beast or animal that you want to mod, the cell type you want to modulate, you get something in there that magnifies your precision and your ability to, to do the deed, right? And it turns out that there are these proteins called opsins. And opsins can be, um, we have opsins. You have like rhodopsin in your eye. It's, it's a photo, it's a wavelength sensitive protein that allows you to see color right? It allows you to see different colors and different things, but it's not very strong. And we only use it in our eye and for circadian rhythms, but, but bacteria, they have opsins for all sorts of things and they're strong, powerful opsins. They have a lot of very, they're kinetics. In other words, they're very sensitive to light waves. So they marry up those opsins with mammalian opsins and they inject them. Now what they've done in rats, here's what they've done in mice. And, and by the way, on that last one, they're talking about they, when they talk about this technology, the couple words that always come out, they talk about high spatiotemporal resolution, meaning I can put this wherever the hell I want. I can put it in your brain and I can just turn on these cells in your brain, or I can put it in your heart and just turn on these cells in your heart, not those. Very, very precise. In other words, they can be. They say that. The other thing is that they respond to both light and pulses of light. And in this cardiac research, they're using this idea that they can use it to, quote, help help regulate rhythm in people's hearts. Now, they claim they've never done experiments in humans. I think that's not true. But they've done it in rats. And what they show in mice and rats, in an intact chest cavity with a beating heart, they can stop a, an, act, uh, a, a, an arrhythmia or they can start an arrhythmia. In other words, it says pulses of light from a focused light source could be used to entrain ventricular activation at rates faster than intrinsic sinus rhythm. Okay, that's pretty impressive. They can start an arrhythmia. Keep in mind, when you see young people dying suddenly, the number one cause is arrhythmia. That's what usually causes a sudden death like we're saying. It's the SADS, the sudden adult death syndrome. That is what usually causes it. So what's going on here? Well, Let's think about this episode, the Travis Scott concert. As you know, probably there were 10 people roughly that dropped over and they didn't get crushed. They tried to say at first they got crushed, but they've, I looked at multiple witnesses accounts at the time and they were saying, no, no, there was room around them, but they just, they couldn't get the concert to stop and they couldn't get people's attention and they couldn't, they couldn't rescue these people. They were doing CPR and stuff. Anyway, so what happened was everybody had to be vaccinated to go to the concert then you had to go through this creepy satanic skull-like thing to get into the concert. And you're blasted with, um, while you're in there, you're being blasted with all sorts of wavelength, including pulse strobe lights, right? And 10 people drop over about the same time and, and collapse and die. Okay, what does that sound like? To me, that sounds like wavelength uh, causing ventricular, as they say in this, ventricular activation at rates faster, faster than normal. So, I'm I'm suspicious this was a test run. Similarly, there have been several other similar kinds of things happening in uh in Israel and Australia. Um now watch this. This is a this is a um a video of a French 
I think he's a PhD in religion, not in medicine, but he goes by doctor. It's a doctor. It's French. And listen to what he says. And I'm going to, I think I turned the volume down. I'm going to read it to you, but because he's speaking French, what will happen, what will follow is the contamination of the bloodstreams of mankind. Creating intentional infections. This will be enforced via laws that will make vaccination mandatory. And these vaccines will make possible to control people. The vaccines will have liquid crystals that will become hosted in the brain cells. Think opsins. Liquid crystals. Which will become micro receivers of electromagnetic fields. That's what opsins are. Which will become micro where wavelengths of very, very low frequencies will be sent. And through these low frequency waves, people will be unable to think. You'll be turned into a zombie. Don't think of this as an hypothesis. This has been done. Think of Rwanda. Okay, remember Rwanda? We had the Hutus and the Tutsis. And suddenly, after living together for hundreds of years, one group turned on the other and just murdered them. That's, I think, what we're looking at here. Think about, And by the way, where do we get ultra low wavelengths? I don't know what wavelength this takes. And I, I don't know, you know, we don't, there were so many things going on at the concert, we don't know. But think about, when we talk about, they're called EMF, ELFs, extra long frequency wavelengths. Those are the, the that's what these big um, uh, uh, windmills project. They make ELFs and ELFs don't attenuate. They go through the world. They go through mountains. They go through the, the, the whole world and they bounce back from the other side. We just had an episode where a whole bunch of whales were killed by being around one of these, these wind farms out in the ocean. They're starting to having dead whales come up on shore. So this is a big problem. I've been yelling about this for a decade, um, but we still keep putting them up. Now, so what we're left with is what are the causes of disease? And by the way, don't you love this picture? I love this picture. You know, it tells you the, tells you about the players here, I think. Um, the causes of dis-ease. There are toxins. There are parasites. And I've got a whole protocol on that. You need to do There's wavelength. And there's deficiency diseases. And there's fear. And trust me, fear by itself can make you sick. So what, what we don't have proven, and, and there may be bacterial diseases, okay? These have been proven. I think we can prove bacterial disease, but I will tell you that bacterial disease is probably secondary or only happens when there's something wrong to allow it to happen. In other words, your body's basic, as they say, terrain, the basic uh, competency of your immune system or the terrain in your body has been damaged. For example, we see infection when you get a gunshot wound to your tibia or you got a grade three open skiing fracture to your tibia or um, a pelvic fracture, something that's opens from a gunshot wound or something. These things, the tissue is blown apart and that's why they get infected and die. That's why civil war injuries were so deadly because we didn't have antibiotics and we didn't really understand how to deal with them. If you amputated the limb, you're okay, but you couldn't leave devitalized tissue around. It would allow infection. And that's so even bacterial is, is not by itself probably. So here's what we first have to do to get out of this. We have to change our language to change the world. Instead of saying, I got a cold, now you say, I got poisoned, okay? Look around for what you've been in. Think about what you've been exposed to. I got sick from someone on the plane. No, you didn't. Think about what you did. You didn't get sleep the night before. You were packing. You're all excited, and you get, so you're sleepless. You get on the plane. You're on a plane that's just been 
deep, deep, what they, they consider sprayed with, uh, you know, solvents and things to, to stop infection from spreading, but what they're spreading is toxins. So they're getting all this toxic stuff all over the plane that now you're going to be in a four hour flight and it's going to be recirculating all the effluent of all that toxicity they put on the plane. You're going to be breathing it in for four hours. Then you get to your destination. You meet your friends. You're at this meeting. You drink more than you normally do. You stay up late. You're talking with old friends. Again, you're not getting sleep and everything you're doing, you're then after a couple of days, you get sick and you blame it on somebody coughing on the plane. No, I let my immune system run down. That's what you did. Okay. I was, t- then it actually, you talked, you got poisoned and you let your immune system run down and you got sick. How about I got the flu? No, I got too toxic in the winter when I wasn't getting sunlight. Um, how about, this is my favorite. I took the vaccine and I still got COVID. No, you didn't. You took the vaccine. It damaged your immune system. So you couldn't fight off parasites and toxins. And then you took another vaccine because you still didn't catch on. Stupidity kills. I'm sorry. You know, I get it at the first one. I get it the second one, but don't take any more, whatever you do. We can't, we can get you out of some of this, but we can't, if you keep doing it, we can't get you out of it. So here's the simple program. And it's not that hard to do. It just takes practice. First of all, live by the sun cycle. That's not that hard to do. When it starts getting dark, start going to bed. Um, you can stay up longer in the summer. You go back in, in the winter. You know, honestly, I lived like this as a kid. In farm country, we still lived like this in the 60s. Um, not so much now. People have kind of less farming, fewer people farming. They have kind of gotten in the city ways. Supplement your low sun. You can do that. Get an IR sauna infrared sauna or a tanning bed now they sell these infrared bags that basically just fit around you and zip up they're really nice and they're they're not that expensive do not take temperature lowering drugs i just told you that i don't take tylenol i never give it to my patients i try and tell dentists don't quit giving it to people with a tooth removal now i can't tell you to use chlorine dioxide daily for the universal antitoxin because it is a great antidote antitoxin there's a great movie you can watch the universal antidote but I use it daily, and I actually have my protocol that I use for myself for educational purposes only on my site. Why am I going to that length to tell you not to, that I'm not telling you to do it? Because you'll go to jail for telling people to use chlorine dioxide. Bishop Grennan's been in the jail for three years simply for reporting that it was killing, it was helping people get over COVID. So I won't tell you that, and I'm not going to tell you to use it, but you should check into it, in my opinion. Um Balanced nutritional supplements. You have to, you know, our our diet is not what it should be. You have to eat a good diet. But even if you eat the best diet in the world, you're missing things because our soils are leached out and we're not using good uh, techniques for growing food. Now, uh, I just gave a, a, a lecture on electroculture. I'm really hot on electroculture and you could look that up. It's a good thing. And then eat because we want to eat what God made. And God gave us the tools to really make great food. We just don't use them. Um, eliminate, eliminate toxins in your body or, and or in your in your environment. Now, most of the toxins we get are for food. Just getting rid of grains like wheat is a huge step. Wheat is your intake for glyphosate and for many other things. So wheat is not a normal thing in the um, human diet. And I would really uh, start by going gluten-free every month. Just get rid of something. Get rid of the, the, the crap in your diet, but also eliminate toxins from your environment you know, perfumes, stuff that you don't need. I tell you, after making my own soap for a long time, 
uh, when I go to a hotel, I started using it for my shampoo and I realized it was no worse than my other shampoo. I'm not, I hate my hair and I never seem to have a good haircut, but nonetheless, it doesn't get worse with sham or better with fancy, fancy shampoo, but I get toxified because your scalp is one of the places you really absorb things. So think about that. Anytime you put something on your hair, you're getting it into your scalp. Um, then treat parasites. Another lie they've told us is that we that parasites are a third world disease. No, everybody has parasites. Everybody needs them treated. Treat your parasites. And, and I have a protocol on my website how to do that. And to mitigate EMF, mitigate EMF. That also is, if you go to my website, I have a little button that takes you right to EMF salt. I like those guys because they're the only ones I know. Maybe there are more. And if somebody's out there, make me a liar. Show me that you have bioassays. But these guys have bioassays. They, they can tell you why it works. And I, and I like that a lot. So um, that's, that's, we need to know what works. I don't want to just wear a, a, a very expensive rabbit's foot around my neck, right? Show me how it works. And here's a very important one. Tune de malice, as they say in Latin, do not participate in evil. Keep in mind, the people running this show, that 150 people, do you think they go out and murder anybody personally? Do they give anybody a vaccine personally? No. Just like World War II and Eichmann, he made the trains run on time. He made the system work, but they didn't kill anybody personally. He got us to do it. He got the little people to kill each other. So stop participating in evil. If you're giving injections, you better quit now because people are waking up and they're going to storm hospitals with pitchforks here pretty soon when they realize what's been done to them. And we and, and, and they're coming after your children, too. So I know that there are devout believers in this. But the rest of you that are just doing it, keep a job, time to get out, man. It's time not to participate in this evil. This is how we bring the system down. If you're flying jets that are spraying chemtrails, don't you think you're killing your children too? Of course you are. Don't do it. You've got to quit doing it. Yes, you know, what's worse, losing your job or losing your immortal soul and your children, okay? I, I, I finally woke up one day about taxes, and I said, I've been paying my taxes all my life thinking I was being a good American citizen. Now I realize I was paying them so they could pay bioweaponeers to make these poisons to kill my children, and I'm done with that. Okay, This is the kind of moral decision you're going to have to come to. And this is just a list of books that I think is worthwhile reading. You can, you can start there. There's just a bunch of – I'm putting it on here because as this is recorded, you can refer back to it, and you've got some good stuff. So – uh, in case I know you don't have time to go down all the rabbit holes, we go down the rabbit holes for you every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time on uh, the Medical Rebel podcast. You can find it on my site. Thank you very much. I really appreciate being asked to speak. Thanks, Ted. I really appreciate everything you do.
present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, J.R. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream 
highly exalted. And every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring and we make that When we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at I hope you've enjoyed that, my friends. And Don, thank you so much for playing that. I was busy with my Galactic Wisdom Conference, and now I, I can... I can I can be back in the air here. So please accept my apologies. What an amazing time that was to be alive. And you know, like the 60s, that energy is back again now. But actually, it's far even more powerful than that because um, all the planets are in the same astrological pattern as they were during the American and French Revolution from 1776 to 1815. And um, so we're looking in re revolutionary times right now. And uh, I was talking to uh, President George Washington um, on the other side about six months ago about this. And from his perspective back then, he said there was a 20 percent uh, chance of an American revolution happening right around the middle of March right now or the 21st is coming week. And as um, as time went on uh, since about six months ago, the chances for a second American revolution happening within a week from now is now 100 percent. And it's 100 percent uh, for lots of reasons with all the, the uh, crazy things happening in the in the country.
that there are, are active forces. We are in a war, like uh, Dr. Lee Merritt said earlier today in her wonderful presentation. I appreciate her so much for coming on my show today. But uh, we are in a war, and we're getting um, hit with many, many sides. But I want people to remember this and, and to be positive about it because we are winning. The negatives have lost the war. Sure, there's there's battles going on right now, but we're gonna. I know we're gonna get through it and make the right choices. Um, it's more it's more than just about this planet, by the way. the The Earth has been the linchpin. Um, in the past, the 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 Earth has has stymied uh, the ascension not only of this of this uh, of of this um, solar system, but also the entire galaxy. Uh, the other planets in the solar system, my galactic friends tell me, is that they've ascended and they're waiting for us to catch up. <laughs> they are, and so uh, we have a we, our our role here and our task here is to help uh, is to educate people, help with the ascension, um, so that they we can all create a much better and happier planet. And I think um, practically everybody uh, listening today on the show. Uh, would certainly agree with uh, that, that that they all agree with with making this world a better place. That's what I started with my show uh, about ten years ago now, and I've been broadcasting uh, every week um, for the last ten years uh, with that message of of helping to raise consciousness and helping uh, with the ascension. And the thing that I've I've realized over the years, you've got to you've got to um, You've got to trust yourself and the messages that you get with inside of you, because that ties you in, into God. Um, you shouldn't have to rely upon anyone who calls themselves source or a single letter, um, because you've got that ability to tie into God within you. You should always trust that. Actually, my plebeian friends and my friends from the Hollow Earth and Adama tell me people have two minds. They have um, they have a logical mind in the third dimension, and then they also have um, a, a, a heart mind, which is something like 2,000 times stronger, more powerful than your than your logical mind. And if you always tie into your heart mind, you'll never go wrong and you'll always make uh, a good choice. So if your uh, angels tell you something, always be sure to follow it because um, it's easy to get off track uh, on, this, on this crazy planet. And um, uh, a lot of people, um, for example... Um, uh, are, are perhaps in careers or occupations which they're not very happy about. But uh, what I would do is, is, is if you want to tie into your guides, um, meditate. Um, meditate within and try to reach them. The answers always come through, and they always come through your, your heart mind. I have spirits I talk to the, on the other side uh, a lot, and sometimes um, I do hear their voices. That's called clairaudience. Um, but usually what I do is I'll, I'll get the messages through my heart mind. It's difficult to describe how it works here in the third dimension, but it does work, and it's a very accurate way of doing it. When I first started doing this back in um, November of 1994 with my uh, wonderful foster mother, Terry, uh, she taught me always to trust your heart mind, and when you ask a question from, from the spirit world, you want to, number one, put protection around you so you... You don't. You get the right answer, and you're not getting any negative influences. And the second thing you always want to do is when you ask your question, question of the other side, you always want to trust your first response you get, not the second or third or fourth or fifth. And don't second-guess yourself because that first response is always um, the, the accurate one. And it takes time. It took In practice, it took me many years to get to the point where I could tr- trust uh, talking um to know who I was talking to on the other side, I have no doubts now whatsoever. I've been given 
so many examples over the years of their accuracy. When you talk, because when you talk to a spirit on the other side or an angel, um, they're coming from a higher dimension, could be fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth dimension, ninth dimension. Um, it, it goes actually, the dimensions goes, goes up to the 12th dimension where uh, the supreme being or the um, God, if you will, who created all that exists, all that there is. Um, but when you go in the higher dimensions beyond this third dimension, all the answers you get are 100% accurate. And um, it's impossible to lie to you because uh, you can see the truth. Uh, it takes time and practice. I, I have actually a mentoring program where I teach people how to, how to do it. I've been, been doing this now for, I don't know, 30 years. Uh, is that? No, 10, uh, 10 years. No, no, no. No, it's, it's 10 years for the program. And, uh, oh, yeah, almost 30 years I've been doing in touch with the other side. So um, hard to keep all these track of all these years. But uh, if you want to sign up or what more information, you can go to my website at www.outofthisworldreadings.com. Um, but, um, you know, I have to I have to tell you some good news with all of this. I was I was uh, reading a book called Conversations with um, Nostradamus. It was written uh, by Dolores Cannon with the help of about a dozen other psychics back in the late 80s. It was published by Ozark Mountain Publishers, and I think it's still published in volumes one, two and three. And in that book, um, it, 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 he wrote that uh, from his perspective, um, we would be shifting into the fifth dimension by the year 2038. That was based upon the available timelines. Well, after that, uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, we had a tremendous um, groundswell for, for peace on the planet. And many people um, demonstrated uh, that, that uh, in world peace, and, they, and many people wanted um wanted both the United States and the Soviet Union to get rid of their nuclear weapons and have arms limitations. And so um, we did. We, we, we reached those agreements with the, um, with, with the Soviet Union and, with, and then Russia after that. And it, has, it was successful in turning us away from any kind of nuclear war, nuclear conflict. Now, believe it or not, there are negatives on the planet who don't want us to ascend, who want us to have a war, and they want us to wipe ourselves out. However, um, if we were to fire, if our military, for example, or the Russian military were to fire a nuclear weapon at either country, these would be stopped and dismantled by the Galactic Alliance. Uh, the Galactic Alliance, uh, their formal name is called the Galactic Alliance of Interdimensional Free Worlds. I just call them the, the Galactics. They are mostly, but not all, human. Um, they have 7 trillion entities um, comprised of 450 million planets. They are up to 100,000 years ahead of us technologically and up to 50,000 years ahead of us spiritually. They're humans, many of whom, uh, most of whom are humans just like us, except they're just in a, in a higher vibra a vibrational state. They're, they cannot intervene on this planet um, except with limited circumstances. Um, they are bounded by what's called co cosmic law, galactic law. And as part of that law, they have to respect our free will. Um, however, if you ask for help, they will help you. It's a very simple kind of thing. And we've, all of us here, um, many of us here um, came from the Atlantean times when, when the planet, when some of us managed to blow up much of the Earth. And so um, the lesson is for us not to repeat those same mistakes again. Unfortunately, some of the, uh, some of the negative spirits and souls 
who were um, present during Atlantis have come back now and they want us. They don't want us to ascend. They don't want us to be happy. Um, it's They don't want us to have peace. They want to continue the old warlike ways of doing things. And But you know what's going to happen there? All of their efforts are going to fail because we are on a fast track to ascension. And it is possible for us um, we're, we're going to the fifth dimension this year, and it's possible for us to go all the way to the eighth or ninth dimension, much closer to God than we are now. And it it's, all depends on our choices, because this is, this is a free will, will planet. But um, the galactics and the angels all have our backs. And if you ask for help from the galactics, if you ask for help uh, from God, I do believe in God and the Supreme Being, you'll get it. Um, it's simple as that. One of the easiest ways um, where I contact the, the galactics is I put my hand on my heart and I do what's called a hue meditation. The hue H U is from um, is is uh, is from uh, the word human. And so I want everyone, if you want to practice this yourself today, put your hand on your heart and say the hue three times, and we'll do that now. So please, if you like, uh, say it with me. It goes like this: you. And twice more. And one more time. And you can ask them whatever you need need help with. Um, and uh, I, I do that frequently. I ask for protection because I have been under attack now for the past year and a half, two years. I've talked about this before. I'm not going to talk about the negative entities today. But it's always good. To, to have that protection in place, and secondarily, anytime I get when I get up in the morning, I do this twice twice during the day. When I get up in the morning and before I go to sleep at night, I cover myself with a cone of white light, and I put a series of mirrors. I visualize them in the astral plane around me, facing outward to deflect negativity, and then I ask uh, God and the angels to put that into effect for the for the next 24 hours. There are also wonderful uh, archangels out there, including Archangel Michael and many others. You can ask for protection. Archangel Michael is a warrior uh, angel warrior, uh, who will, will protect you. Just Again, you have to ask for help, and and he will. Um, but um, one thing I've learned over the years is that the white light is always stronger than the dark. And I'll give you an example. The reptilians who have been... Um, been st- trying to stop our evolution and ascension now for I don't know how many years. Um, their technology is only ten thousand years ahead of us. Now that's a lot, but it's it's uh, it doesn't even come close to what the galactics have. Their technology is a hundred thousand years ahead of us. They don't have any spiritual growth. They're not spiritual. They have no tie into God. They think that they are God, um, and that's a problem. Um, the, the galactics ha- are advanced up to. 50,000 years ahead of us spiritually. So um, when you ask for the galactics, they can they can help you with practically anything, or God, for that matter. So I want people to, to realize that. And often, when the negatives are trying to do something to us and stop our ascension and stop our evolution, the threat um, and what they're doing always seems uh, bigger than it actually is. Look what happened in Ohio and Pennsylvania with the uh, toxic... Um, the, 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 releasing of all those chemicals and dioxins in Ohio. On the surface, it looks like it could be the end of the American Midwest. Poisoned, poison. It could be theoretically poisoned for the next hundred years, about a third to half of the United States. You think this government's going to help us? Heck no. 
Biden, you forget it. He's not going to do anything. He's part of that darkness. But you know what? We are getting help from the Galactics. We are getting help from our brothers and sisters among the Plutians. And we're cleaning it up just like they cleaned up a lot of uh, Fukushima when Fukushima released all that radiation into the Pacific back um, in March uh, uh, 2011. The Japanese called that the, the, the three, the, like we have our 9-11. Well, they have the, they called that 3-11 there. And, um, but, but they got, they cleaned that up. And I, and I know that for a fact and I can prove it because back in the spring of 2014, our scientists were, our earth scientists were saying that there was, um, a huge plume of radiation coming from Tokyo across the Pacific to, um, to the west coast of, uh, America. Canada and Mexico, and it would it would contain um, all the radiation, the equivalent of all the radiation dropped by all the atomic bombs since World War II, and that was going to hit the coast, and about 90-95% of the people would be dead within a very short time from the radiation exposure. Well, I was interested in that, and so I hired, um, I had water tested off Seattle, off of Oregon, and uh, I want, I've told this story before, but at the time, um, California Go uh, Governor Jerry Brown, um, I contacted his office to test the water, the salt water samples because Washington Governor Inslee had shut down all the testing laboratories for radiation in Washington state. Um, president Obama was president at the time and he had shut down all the federal testing laboratories. So you couldn't get any, any testing done on radiation coming from Fukushima. And they did that so that people wouldn't know how much radiation they and their kids or their babies might be getting. And so I had it tested um, uh, because California Governor um, Jerry Brown offered to do all the testing we wanted for free. I was part of a nonprofit group. And the results came back, and guess what? The water was completely clean, and they had been cleaned up by the galactics and our Pasadena friends, and especially the people of the, the hollow earth. And uh, cleaning up radiation is a very old technology Um it actually was used by the Plebeians uh, back 52,000 years ago when they had a nuclear war within their civilization and, and many people died and they had to clean up the radiation. So they, they learned how to do it and it's a very old technology and they used it. They left a little bit, some technology, some radiation at Fukushima as a, as a, in the holding pens there as a reminder for us not to use um, atomic power because we're not, we're not supposed to have it. People may be surprised, but off this planet, the use of nuclear power, nuclear weapons, nuclear bombs is completely illegal. I think Earth is about the only one that allows nuclear energy. And actually, we were given given the technology to develop nuclear power and uh, nuclear bombs, bombs by the reptilians in the 30s and 40s, so we would end up blowing, up, blowing ourselves up. And they did that because they want this planet. The reptiles and the natives want to take over the Earth and have it as their planet. And so if we blew ourselves up with all the radiation, we'd be all dead, and it would be easy for them to clean up so they'd have a nice planet for themselves. But it's not going to work. <laughs> not going not to be successful. But it's useful to think about what's really going on here on the planet when you look at the larger um, galactic galactic picture. And I want to especially thank my Plodean brothers and sisters and the Galactic Alliance for, for giving me this information so I can um, uh, share this with you today. In 22 other star systems, the, the reptilians have come in 
offered benefits to the elites, human elites on these planets, um, that in exchange for these uh, benefits, that they would become the kings and queens of their own particular planet, that they would be allowed to decrease um, the population of, of a particular planet by 95% down to a what they consider a manageable slave-like population of about 500 million people. Um, this would be used. These people would be turned into slaves and uh, robots, and they would be used to extract the resources of the um, of the particular planet. And when all the resources have been extracted, the reptilians typically in 22 other star systems would blow up the planet with what's called an antimatter weapon. This actually goes back to March of 1954, when President Eisenhower stupidly agreed to um, a, 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 tre a trade treaty with the reptilians that in exchange for some of their technology to fight the Soviets at the time, that they would be allowed, the reptilians would be allowed to abduct and study us humans. Now, there are physiological differences between um, the reptilians and the greys and ourselves, and the reptiles and the greys cannot live on the surface of the earth because our oxygen is too rich, it's too much oxygen. So with the chemtrails, they've been trying for years to decrease the oxygen and um, spray chemtrails. Now, the chemtrails they spray here uh, is typically aluminum, barium, strontium, and I believe sulfur. But what's interesting, if you do some research, you'll find out the home planet of Draco, the reptilians, is made out of what? Sulfur, um, strontium, um, uh, aluminum, and um uh, barium. So the same chemicals they're spraying in our in our atmosphere, it actually makes up the um, planet planet's atmosphere of their home planet of Draco, and they can live there just fine with those mixtures. But they can't live on this planet because the air is too oxygen rich. Many of the governments, unfortunately, have been taken over by the reptiles, but uh, um, people are fighting back, and I think we're, we're now witnessing a turn to true democracy uh, on this planet where people are fighting and standing up from the bottom up rather than the top down. And all of their efforts to, uh, to terraform the planet, to force us into slavery, to, to get rid of up to 95% of the planet will, will fail. And we will experience a beautiful new golden, golden age. Um, and it's coming right now, and we, we're right in the middle of it. And it's, it's time to stand up and, and stand up and fight for your rights. Um, I don't advocate violence, but people um, should stand up in a nonviolent way, of course, and protest. Um, Mahatma Gandhi showed um, all of us what one person can do. He was able to free, free the people of India from tyranny, and he did it um, by himself. He was just one man. And it's funny, you know, if you look at John F. Kennedy, one of the, our greatest presidents, um, he, he was able to affect tremendous, wonderful change here in the United States. And if he had lived, this planet right now would be in the fifth dimension and we would, we would be living up to three to 400 years easily. And also we would be, uh, we would have established relations, positive relations with other benevolent extraterrestrial civilizations well beyond this planet. We would have eradicated disease. We would have free energy. Uh, I think money would be used some, but it wouldn't have the uh, perhaps the the, the 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 perceived value that it does today because uh, money actually is a reptilian concept. And in other in other advanced human civilizations, they don't use money; they use kind of like a, a barter system. And and especially people once um, in other planets, they have free energy. And if you have free energy, 
and you get rid of disease, then people automatically will be more abundant and have more resources. Um, that's the kind of world that we're headed to, and that's the kind of world that we would have evolved to right now if President Kennedy had not been uh, uh, assassinated back in 19, on November 22nd, 1963. I do talk to um, President Kennedy. He's here with me now. If any of you, we don't have time today to take the calls, but if any of you have questions for President Kennedy um, uh, or the Galactics or my Pleiadian brothers and sisters or Adama and the people of the hollow earth um, or George Washington, please uh, email me at um, outofthisworld1150 at gmail.com or you could write me at um, outofthisworldradio at protonmail.com and I'm happy to to ask them and then send you send me the answers. We're having a fantastic conference today, my friends. Um, if you want to, if you still want to listen to it, uh, if you sign up, um, all the speakers will be available for the next six months, and you can watch the speakers for as, as long as you like, as many times as you like. We have uh, some fantastic people there. I went over this this morning, but I'll go over it quickly again. Um, Jerry Pollock, a fantastic uh, water scientist, one of the world's most famous water scientists. Just gave an incredible um, uh, presentation. He actually ran over time. Everybody kept, we wanted him to stay longer, and he did. Um, and then as well, um, I have a presentation. Um, it's going on right now by Professor Irvin Laszlo. He's one of the most uh, famous philosophers, philosophers of science in the world. He lives in um, Italy and Hungary. Hungary is coming in from Italy. Uh, Ole Damagard, um from Sweden is there as well. Tom Palladino, fantastic. A scalar energy healer uh, is there. We'll be giving a presentation uh, in about uh, 45 minutes. He and Cullen, um, they are uh, contactees with the Pleiadians. Um, they they channel a group called LARCMA. It's L-A-A-R-K-A and then M-A-A. Um, and they always have beautiful, uplifting speeches. Uh, one of the one of my favorite people is. Um, um, Susie Ward, she's the mother of Matthew, and the messages she gives are called Matthew Speaks. And um, it's always very powerful, very uplifting, positive messages. She'll be giving a presentation as well. Um, she'll be coming on the show tomorrow, uh, the conference tomorrow. I think she probably will, will do a live presentation. I've still got to nail that down, but she should be coming on about 2 p.m. Pacific uh, uh, time tomorrow. The nice thing about... Um, uh, being able to listen to the conference over and over again is that I know uh, I know there's a there's a lot of people, for example, living or sorry, listening today in Europe and probably some there's some in Japan I know in Australia, New Zealand, and because um, I think it's when it's day here it's night there and it's kind of tough on the sleep, but that way you can listen to the conference um, at your leisure any anytime you know anytime you want, and um, the um, uh, I call it the, the Galactic Wisdom Conference of Ancient Wisdom because what what they're doing is bring, bringing in, uh, ancient wisdom. We usually, uh, for, this is my ninth conference now. Every year I have it. We usually do it in person, um, but uh, we decided to do it this year. There's still a lot of restrictions out here, but next year should be a much better atmosphere, and we will be having it in person. And I believe it's going to be March 13th and 14th. You can. Um, you can uh, mark that on your calendar if you like, because it will be happening um, happening then. We usually have a lot of vendors there too, other 
people, healers, um, psychics giving reading, readings. It's always fun to meet people. So I'm really looking forward to that as well uh, next year. We probably will have a physical conference next year as well as a Zoom component. So you'll still be able to listen to um, the entire conference by Zoom. So don't feel like you'll, you know, you'll, you'll miss anything. Oh, it's been it's been busy uh, preparing for this conference. We've got a lot of good speakers and everything, and it's going on for another. Don't feel like you missed a lot today. It's going on for another over six hours uh, today, and then tomorrow it'll go on for ten hours. Um, so it's just uh, fifty dollars for the whole conference. And if you uh, if you like, just go to my website uh, www.galacticwisdomconference.com, or you can just send me an email to out of this world eleven fifty at gmail dot com or uh, out of this world uh, radio at protonmail.com. I want to remind everyone I have a spiritual mentoring program where I teach everyone, uh, teach people how to talk to the other side, how to talk to angels, as well as benevolent extraterrestrials. I myself have been in contact uh, with the Pleiadians since um, 1976 or 1977 when I was at school at um, University of California, Berkeley. And um, they've been... Um, been with me ever since. Uh, they're my brothers and sisters, and I will be going back and uh, to be with them after this uh, segment of my of my life is completed. But um, anyway, it's a beautiful time to be alive, like a Charles Dickens no- uh, novel. It was it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times too. But please trust that um, we are getting help. Um, and we will make it through this period. It's, 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 I know a lot of people are, are uh, having difficult times out there. Um, and if uh, and people are also waking up that the whole shock program was really a farce, and um, it was um, engineered to hurt us. And uh, but I want to know that if if out there that if you've been shattered upon or you, if you have taken the shot, and you'd like some remedies, I have a free remedy sheet. I'm happy to. Uh, Happy to give you uh, to, to anyone for free. Just uh, send me your email, and I'll send it to you. My email again is out of this world eleven fifty at gmail dot com or out of this world radio at, at protonmail dot uh, com. Um, we 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 have a beautiful world just waiting for us right now. Earth is is ascending. The human residence, which is the vibration of planet Earth, has gone up. Uh, just it's expounded so high for many years it was 7.8 hertz um or 7.6 hertz and it has six in and has since gone far far higher than that the frequency of love is actually 528 hertz but um i'm told it's much higher now so we the the, the planet itself has entered into a frequency far beyond uh, the level of love and you're starting to see that happening. One thing I want to thank my Plutonian brothers and sisters for doing is that they've been they have been bombarding this planet Earth with high energy, positive uh, love and light vibrations now since um, November 2018, uh, when the uh, uh, negatively controlled U.S. Air Force and the reptiles um, bombarded Paradise, California, and Malibu, California. With high energy particle beam weapons, uh, they wiped out, they killed 52,000 people in Paradise, California, and another 30,000 in Malibu. God knows why, but they did it. Uh, and at that point, uh, I and many other light workers asked for galactic help back then in November of, of 18, and the Plutians responded. That's when they sent their, they sent their fleet here to help us. And they've been stationed about around our planet since that time. And I want to especially thank 
Plidian Admiralosaurus and his beautiful, wonderful crew of our brothers and sisters, the Plidians. Um, they have a large mothership above Mount Shasta. They also have, and now it's either, they're telling me it's like either nine or 9.5 million ships around the planet. Um, many of them are drones, some of them are staffed, many of them are staffed. Um, but they've all been bombarding the planet with, with high energy positive vibrations. And they've been given permission to do that because of the interference that's been done by the negatives and by the reptilians. And we are winning. Um, their positive vibrations actually are doing a couple things. First off, it's helping people raise their consciousness so they become aware that they can create a beautiful planet uh, here on Earth. And the second thing that it's doing is helping to heal the many people who've been shattered and also hurt uh, by the um, by the shop program. So um, we have a beautiful, bright future ahead of us. We are getting help um, from uh, the Galactics and the Plebeians. Uh, we still have we have to do our part. We have to um, we have to make the right choices, and we have to follow our heart. All of us. Um, many of us are becoming telepathic because within a few short years, uh, telepathy will be the major primary way we communicate with each other. Language will become secondary. And um, uh, as uh, John Lennon uh, said, the, we will, uh, the, the world will be as one. And um, it, it is coming because there's no separation. As you go into the higher dimensions, there's no separation. We all have that spark of God uh, within us. One of the reasons why the SHOT program has caused um, tremendous myocarditis and heart injuries and killing people with heart attacks and strokes is because the reptiles and the negatives wanted to kill off our our heart chakra so we couldn't love anymore and get rid of our emotions so that we become like robots. Um, subject to their control and, and, um, which is against, and uh, there's no freedom in among the reptilians. The, the entities among the reptilian society are all controlled. Um, but as humans, we need to be free. We want to be free. And no civilization, um, no negatives, no tyrannical government and no tyrannical corporation are ever going to enslave humanity on this planet. So we need to all stand up about it. This whole thing from the World Economic Forum for uh, 15, 20-minute cities is total nonsense. Basically, they want to lock you into to a small area and keep you there forever. And um, this whole, the thing about digital currency is the same way where they would in, impose spending limits on you. They wouldn't let you um, save any money. But people, most people want to be free and they want to be happy. So uh, stand up, fight for your rights, um, and know that you're being protected and guided by not only the supreme being, but also by very benevolent and far advanced uh, civil, benevolent civilizations beyond this planet who are all watching and hoping that we all make the right decisions. And uh, for that, I, I want to thank uh, Don and Doug for all their fantastic and beautiful support. I couldn't do this show without their help. I hope all, all, all of you can at least check out my Galactic Wisdom Conference, www.galacticwisdomconference.com. Um, you can actually register anytime in the next six months. It's going on live today and tomorrow, but you can register anytime in the next six months and listen to all the speakers. It's just uh, 50 bucks for uh, 20 hours worth of uh, speakers and, and, and lectures. So um, it works out to like, I know a little over two dollars per per speech to, to listen to everybody, but um, this uh, this summer again uh, quickly I'll be going back to uh, Mount Shasta 
everyone who came on my trips last year received the healing. And uh, if you'd like to go, uh, you can look up a little some information on the trips by going to www.outofthisworldreadings.com or you can just send me an email to outofthisworld1150 at gmail.com and I'm happy to send everyone some information. The only requirement that the people of Telos and Adama require in the Pleiadians is that you be of, of good energy, of high vibration, and have no mounts and not be negative. If you're negative or you work for a three-letter agency, you will not be allowed to come on the trip, period. Um, but um, I'm also going back to Peru in a couple of months, and if you're interested in any of these trips, please send me an email to um, outofthisworld1150 at gmail.com. In Peru, we're hoping to go into Agartha in the hollow earth um, at Lake Titicaca and um, been invited. And uh, so if anyone would like to go, just uh, send me an email. Uh, the purpose of my show is to make this world a better place. And I know if we all work together, we can and will make this world uh, a better place. Whenever you make the decisions, always follow your heart mind and don't listen to anyone who says they're uh, source your cue because often they're they're off giving you wrong information. Anyway, my friends, thank you so much for all your support. Um, Out of This World Radio is a nonprofit listener-supported show, and you can support us on my website at outofthisworld1150.com or by going to BBS Radio for my webpage there. And I want to thank, uh, especially thank Don and Doug for all their fantastic and wonderful help. Don, are we getting close to the end? I guess we are. Okay. Have a beautiful day, my friends. Much love to all of you. Bye-bye. Thanks.